You're listening to an OTB AM podcast. You can watch the show or listen live every weekday morning at 7.45 AM. Subscribe to the OTB AM podcast stream for more stuff just like this. Good morning and welcome to Friday's OTB AM. What a monster weekend of sport we have coming for you. Delighted to have you along with us this morning. Myself and Owen Shane as always on a Friday morning. Owen, good morning to you. A very good morning to you. What's happening? Not much. You've never been to a Six Nations game? Yeah, we had this conversation earlier in the week, but I wanted oh. to have it again because somebody out there might have tickets for me. Literally, Owen said, yeah, let's do it again because somebody might want me to go with them to the game. Somebody might feel sorry for me. Plenty um, of people feel sorry for me all the time, <laughs> but they might feel sorry, sorry for me in a specific enough. way. Would you be open to... Any randomer saying, I've got one spare ticket, come on, come to the game with me, is that... Well, I'd need to do a background check, get a few detectives on the case, and uh, if it comes back all clear, then absolutely. Um, Tight window for that, that's all I'm thinking, you know. Well, my detectives uh, are quick operators. Um, And so why have you never been to a Six Nations game before? I don't know, I guess I'm not part of a rugby club. Um, I'm also not part of a... I mean, to be fair, I suppose I've worked at a bunch of them, but... um, I'm just surprised that at some point or another the curiosity wouldn't have got the better of you. The curiosity's always been there. I, I've been to plenty of November international games. Mm. Those tickets are generally easier to get, though, aren't more they? More genuine people, probably, is what you'd say. It's more like the, the November internationals, because, I mean, people who regular viewers will be aware that you are a very regular attendee, sometimes working and sometimes just, you know, going along to watch the game, um, at league games to follow Kerry around the country. So that's probably the equivalent, is it, the November internationals? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Or genuine, sort of. Definitely, I, I would definitely consider myself more genuine mm. than uh, than anybody else. Yep. <laughs> and let's let's go along with that. But that's that's the point exactly. It's like if you're a member of a rugby club and you contribute to grassroots rugby in Ireland, you absolutely should be heading on to the Six Nations games, and those should be the people that get first priority. So I've never once decided, you know what, I'm going to stand in front of them in the queue for this game. Yeah. I will know my place and watch the game in my own house. Screw that. Um, and like I mean, because you know, there's also the Valentine's weekend in Rome sort of comes around every couple of years there's just I mean what I'm saying is there are social reasons to attend these games have you done Valentine's Paddy, weekend Paddy's, Paddy's weekend Ruby. in England uh, used to be a thing obviously not this time around big national league weekend it's, so, well, sorry Ireland rugby you'd always be involved around the business end as well of course is the, uh, the reality uh, I have done Valentine's weekend in Rome several times uh, for the rugby it's several times and how, has that been a successful entry for you? Well, I've been working over there on my own, so um, does that count as success? Well, you know, everybody loves their own company. That's true, that's so, true. Uh, Do I, they? I, it was as romantic as Do it could they? possibly be, I'd <laughs> imagine. Um, yeah. Um, so, right, well, look, at it. if you're out there and you've got a spare ticket for the England game this weekend, would you take any game that's upcoming over the next while? Does it have to be England? Yeah, well, I'd, I'd go to Murrayfield if there was uh, plane tickets. Oh, willing to travel as well, yeah, right. Yeah, willing, willing to wow. travel. This is, a, this is a big commitment right here. Wow. So uh, I'm letting my colours to the Six Nations Mass this um, morning. You could also do the other thing, which is uh, either go and try and buy some tickets or just get some tickets, given you're sort of such a high-profile member of the media that... This wouldn't be what I'm saying to you is the only route to you going to a Six Nations game doesn't have to be in the company of somebody you don't know. No, yes, it does. Yes, it does. <laughs> uh, let's keep the narrative going here, Adrian. <laughs> I'm uh, not buying Six Nations tickets. Uh, monster weekend uh, of sport ahead, including the uh, and maybe chief amongst them, the Ireland England game um, tomorrow at the Aviva. We're going to be chatting about that in much more detail a little bit later on. Uh, huge weekend of GA as well. Who've Kerry got this weekend on? Their way to Cavan. Away to Cavan. Park. 
reading Kieran Donny in the in his column in the Star this morning. It's um, a uh, a long trip was the first uh, point that he made in in his piece today. Um, you've been up there a few times, have you? He was said for Manor was the last time he would have played against Kerry in Cavan, oddly. Wow, really? That's park, yeah. that, that's an interesting one. Like, I, I can't. Last time Kerry were up there was two years ago, but I don't think Donahue was playing at that mm-hmm. time. So a different thing. I, I always say that the fans who actually travel up from Kerry to those games are far more genuine Kerry fans than I am. Like I'm literally just going an hour and a half up the road from Dublin. So I, I, do, I don't, don't have any choice on. There's no point in self self flagellating no, about it. Like it's well, no, I'm not self. You could. What you could do is go down to Tralee, you know, put in an appearance, clock in the passport, and then say I'm going to be more genuine now by heading up to Cavan from here as opposed to going from Dublin uh, you, you could do that you, you absolutely could do that I guess I have no option but I, I am just stating that you know, there are far more there are far more fans who are far more dedicated than I am to the cause but I'm you're not going lacking the in genuineness just because you're not, you're, your journey is shorter some might say I am <laughs> some, might, some, some, some pedant, <laughs> pedantic people might say I am uh, what were you saying oh yeah last time they were, they were up there was uh, against Romana <laughs> in Cavan I wasn't at that game so right. you know, there, there's another black well, mark against yeah, how genuine I am yeah yeah, uh, Westmead Carlo, obviously the big. Um, I know a lot of people are keeping an eye on that this week. Hundred percent records on the line. Uh, yeah, and Westmead going for three three wins in a row. Westmead had an unbelievable turnaround last week. They were well, down eleven points to three and, and ended they up winning were the game. Eight points down with twenty five minutes to go, and also awfully had a. Uh, I think the the keeper had a forty with the last kick of the game. I think something like that, and uh, missed it. So. Um, yeah. I, would, like, I know it's not possible with uh, a lack of actual technology to do it, but you would love to be able to watch all those Division 2 and 3 games on demand whenever you wanted to, because for a county like uh, Westmeath, and uh, despite what they did in Leinster last year for a county like Carlo as well, this is the big part of their I year. There's a huge mark to be served there with, um, I mean, whatever about live coverage of the games, because in some ways you kind of expect that maybe you're not quite quite going to get that, but even some sort of significant highlights package that... Uh, Half the country aren't being served, essentially. Division threes and 3 and 4, as far as I understand, you don't see any of those games anywhere. No. Appearing at any point. The thing is, with the Super 8s and all that, we get plenty of the big counties during the summer. Mm. That really, when you, if Westmead are on television at some point at the start of the year, you're like, who's this player, who's that player? I literally haven't seen them play. And you can read all the articles you want to mm. and try and do as much reading as possible, but nothing actually beats sitting down and actually watching the game in full. I know, as I say, the technology probably isn't there. There's only so many television vans that can get to, to games and stuff. Yeah. But, well, uh, I mean, yeah, cause it doesn't have to be full full on broadcast I know you have some sort of a presence there uh, but like as a public service remit you would think that actually uh, not serving half of the country is not a great thing people will say get up off your arse and go to the game I totally get that I absolutely understand that and that's fully my intention that at some point or another that I would uh, uh, get to some of the Westmead games <coughs> coming over the course of the year. So. Well, keep, keep us updated on all that. Um, were you watching... Uh, Super Bowl, by the way, we need to mention Super Bowl. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to that a little bit later on. Were you following the transfer deadline day last night? A little bit. Transfer deadline night? Yeah, a little bit. Didn't make it to Jim White for the first time in a long time. I usually do, mm. but it's really sort of... He's omnipresent, though, you see, as well as the thing now. It's not just... he's not just On the radio as well as television. Yeah. So you could have got your fix going home on, on the radio and talk sport yesterday as well. Uh, the, like the, it's very hard to pick out a highlight from yesterday, but if I had to be pushed for a highlight from the deadline day yesterday, uh, it was Abu Bakar Kamara, who left Fulham, uh, and he joined Turkish club Yeni Malatyaspor, if I've got that right. And uh, he looks relatively happy, 
the Yeni uh, board look unhappy completely. They look, they look absolutely distraught at the idea that they've signed Abu Bakr Kamara uh, from uh, from Fulham. Got us thinking about all those other times, the iconic moments that we've seen footballers and indeed other people really unhappy with a, a deadline day signing or indeed an earlier signing. Emmanuel Frimpong joining Barnsley is one of the more famous examples. Uh, here he is looking particularly chuffed that he's joined them. Christoph Samba, when he joined Panathinaikos a while back, gave us this photo chuffed to join uh, the, the Greek powerhouse uh, and then Andras Townsend here has got that Spursy feeling after joining Tottenham and then one of my most favourite is uh, Kolo Toure revealing he's a Rangers fan when he joined Celtic a couple of years back that is pretty much as far as you can go in terms of anything that you could glean from yesterday just a miserable yeah. photo of everybody around Kamara after he left Fulham unfortunately it's a thing of the past the glory of transfer deadline day Kolo Toure particularly who's a guy obviously who's full of joie de vivre generally like he's you rarely see him sort of laughing and smiling about something or other well exactly exactly a conspiracy theory right there that he was a Rangers fan yeah there we go right uh, get your cabins coming into us here's what's coming up between now and about half past nine it's going to be the sports pages very shortly we'll let you know what's making the back page headlines Phil Thompson is it a debut for Phil Thompson I think it might be yes. not to be AM. That's uh, coming your way. Obviously, just a massive week, really, for Liverpool and potentially a massive couple of months ahead. So we are really interested to get the thoughts of Phil Thompson. That's coming your way just after uh, about ten past eight uh, thereabouts. It's a big weekend of GEA as well, so we're going to run you through the highlights of that at about twenty-five past eight. Darren's going to be in the studio for all the sports news uh, this morning, just after half eight, and then we're going to have Alan Quinlan as always on a Friday. But uh, this morning we're going to be joined by Mike Tyndall because it's such a massive weekend of Ireland versus England. Uh, Mike Tyndall is a pretty interesting voice in the area. He's a guy who played uh, by my uh, research last night seven times against Ireland and has a bit of a mixed uh, record. So we're going to speak to him uh, to preview that game. And that is all coming your way at about a quarter to nine. So that's uh, what's upcoming. As I said, do keep your comments coming into us on the hashtag if you're on YouTube, Facebook, uh, anything reasonable, we'll pretty much uh, guarantee that we'll bring our viewers' ways. So uh, do keep your comments coming into us. We're going to take a quick uh, look, however, to begin things uh, with the newspapers this morning. And we're going to kick off with the Irish Independent today, which is all about the rugby, as most of these newspapers are this morning. Jones, pressure is on Ireland. Uh, Eddie Jones, I mean, I think the mind game started probably about two weeks ago when he was talking about playing nine forwards and uh, he was going to play Jack Noll as a number seven. Uh, pressure is on Ireland, he says, and look, at maybe he's right. That's the uh, Rugby England boss fears that Murray's aerial bombardment, uh, fears Murray's aerial bombardment, but he's confident that his side can beat what he calls the best team in the world. Uh, Tony Kelly hit with a one-match ban in a test case, right, uh, right, Colm Keyes here. This is... Uh, the questionable, certainly debatable red card that he picked up, uh, Tony Kelly, uh, last weekend uh, for that challenge with Patrick Maher and Colin Keyes is writing that it's a bit of a test case that referees have been instructed to take action when it comes to any head-high challenges so that actually it removes almost any debate from the equation. There was contact made with the head, letter of the law, that's a red card, and letter of the law, it's a one-match ban. I'd be very interested to see how this develops over the course of the league if we start to see more red cards like Tony Kelly's. I think fair enough that there's a level of consistency about it that even if it's not deliberate, which Tony Kelly's clearly wasn't, mm. if it's not deliberate but it still poses a danger to the opposition, if they continue to be met with harsh punishment like it was last Saturday night, I'd be very interested to see how uh, a number of people yeah. react. Like You look at Derek McGrath and Anthony Daly on League Sunday last Sunday. In particular, Anthony Daly, very, very unhappy with the Tony Kelly sending off, despite the fact that there is an argument to be made that 
even though it wasn't deliberate, he wasn't careful with his opponent. Now, the thing is, it's not like rugby where you kind of engage yourself into a tackle and there's a sort of uniformity to it. And, like, say, for example, the Danny Cipriani red card at Thomas yeah. Park a couple of months ago, there was a clear argument to be made that it wasn't deliberate, but he's putting the opposition in a bit of danger with the way he set his body up. Now, with the Tony Kelly situation, he's also putting his opponent in a bit of danger, but there's far less uniformity to the way you tackle mm. in hurling. Uh, far, far, far less for, than, uh, than rugby, anyway. So, it's very hard to actually sort of create a culture where you can be tough and safe at the same time. Is so it though? Is it though? Is it isn't? It, is it possible to introduce a similar sort of a legislation to hurling where you would say you have because suddenly that brings a bit of clarity to it? If you're saying to in that instance, and actually the Tony Kelly case, Colin Keyes is describing here as a test case in that uh, the idea of not challenging the head uh, is going to be a thing. But if you were to introduce the idea of that responsibility to the opponent, actually suddenly that brings a bit of clarity to that Tony Kelly instance and suddenly you don't have Anthony Daly being, and I didn't see it, um, incensed on League Sunday last weekend because everybody then... I don't want to say he was incensed. Angry about it, whatever it was. That um, He certainly disagreed with it by the sounds of things. So uh, suddenly nobody challenges the idea that actually he's made contact with the head and it doesn't matter about, it might have been sort of half right or half wrong or maybe it was a little bit harsh. It just happened and he has a responsibility to his opponent. In some ways, maybe some clarity around the language of it would make people, help people understand this a little bit better. Potentially. Well, the thing is, within the rules already, uh, you're not allowed to shoulder a man when he's going down for the ball, for example. Yeah. So that, that automatically takes away a good possibility of making shoulder connection to the head like they've obviously clamped down so much on in rugby. It's those face-to-face contacts if a man is running right at you and you go for the shoulder, but he stays, uh, like, if he has his body open towards you and it's not shoulder to shoulder, that could lead to a lot of damage without being, uh, without being deliberately violent towards your opponent. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a very thin line there. I, as I say, it'll be very interesting to see if the hurling referees continue to clamp down on it like this because it's, uh, I don't want to say it's a quicker sport than rugby when two players are running at, at full speed, but it's certainly quicker and it's certainly a lot less predictable. It's probably, I wouldn't say it is, but the obviously obvious thing is that they've got a, to all intents and purposes, a fairly significant weapon in their hands that, you know, even if it's not intended to use it in the wrong way, it obviously can do damage. Um, but, yeah, I think the responsibility to the opponent, actually, from a, you know, from a rugby context, is something that might work uh, in hurling because it just clears things up and it actually covers a multitude and it means that there's no great debate about it afterwards that, well, I didn't quite mean to do it. Actually, the responsibility is on you. Yeah. We'll see. We'll, we'll see. see. We'll I, see. I, I just can also see there being a bit of, a, not just a bit of a backlash, a big backlash well, to this. To use that language coming from rugby into hurling, I think straight off the bat uh, is going to be an Brace issue, yourselves. isn't it? Uh, the Irish Examiner uh, this morning again leads with the rugby all fired up. Is the headline here? Uh, praise can make you weak, warns Eddie Jones, but Ronan Agara believes that Ireland are just a better team. Uh, Roger's piece this morning asked by his editor uh, on to write a piece. The uh, make a case, urged the email from the sports editor, that it's a good thing in the long run to lose the Six Nations Open at home to England this weekend. Can't make that case, uh, says Raj. I responded, uh, it'll be a very short column. Ah, he replied, but see how Exeter came to Thomas Park, almost did a number on Munster. Uh, won't, uh, won't that serve Van Graham well? And uh, Raj says, look, he almost has a point, but actually there's no upside uh, to losing to England this weekend. And almost, I suppose you could say, there's no upside really in a World Cup context to losing any of these games yeah, Six and I totally agree. Munster will have uh, been far improved by that extra game, but they won that extra game. Mm. So the, the, the improvement comes from the fact that they were in a tough situation and managed to eke out a win. 
it, all things, if you could have the ideal situation, this every single game is an extremely tight and tough affair for, from an Irish perspective, but they win every game. But you can't have that decision. That's not a decision you can go into any game and say, we're going to win in a very tight manner. You go out and you try and slaughter your opponent as much as you can. So uh, I, I, I just think the, the notion that Joe Schmidt is potentially thinking that losing any of these games is a better thing than winning these games. No, he is, definitely is won't be thinking that. It'll be a hindsight thing where you go. But potentially, I actually, potentially. Us slaughtering all of our opponents during the Six Nations, I think would be a fantastic thing for Ireland. But uh, it's also not going to happen. Um, we might slaughter a few of them, um, but yeah, because you know there's the traditional Irish thing of well, you know, we don't really want to slaughter them all because then they'll the knives will be out for us and we'll be they'll want to chop the head off us poppies or whatever. Um, I actually think that us going out there and slaughtering the hell out of every comer that comes between now and the and the Rugby World Cup. And by the way, like tomorrow's game is I was going to say arguably, but probably inarguably our biggest game before the Rugby World Cup as well. So uh, if we were to lose that. You almost can't regain that at any point because there there won't be any bigger games uh, before the Rugby World Cup. I, I think Murrayfield is absolutely huge, given they are the only opponents that were guaranteed to play again this mm. this autumn. And the trends that they've been on recently that if they beat us in Murrayfield, that Scotland game suddenly becomes a far more talked about prospect in the lead up to what has become a cemented top seed place from our World Cup pool. Yeah, and that becomes far more of a discussion if we lose. But anyway, we're getting ahead of the England game. Yeah. I think I, we're, I, if we're going to slaughter someone, I, I, I think tomorrow we've got every chance of doing so. I fancy us doing a, doing a, a number on Scotland in Murrayfield, by the way. Shoving their haggises up their hoops. Oh, I can hear that clip being played next Monday week after we lose in Murrayfield. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the uh, Irish Daily Mail this morning again. It's uh, Robbie Henshaw here, and Joe's full backing is the uh, contender there for tab of the morning. Uh, Rory Keane writes Henshaw will thrive in the new role. So Schmidt's one of the most fans- fascinating aspects of uh, tomorrow's game. The switch from Robbie Henshaw back to fifteen and Crouch. Vows to seize his chance at Burnley. There's the, a lot of the headlines this morning on Peter Crouch's return to the Premier League. He played about 25 games for Stoke in the Championship this season. Had gone from a place, obviously, where he was getting splinters in his arse when they were in the Premier League and he couldn't get a game. Um, so he's talking, 38-year-old, talking about how he's excited to be back in the Premier League. But I just fear that uh, Peter Crouch at Burnley might end up doing a bit of a subs job again. Yeah, maybe the splinters in Burnley are more pleasant than the splinters at Stoke City. And maybe he just loves the the idea of playing in the Premier League. I know I certainly would. If I was 38 years old and a Premier League was, the club was interested mm. in me, I'd go and sit on the bench. <laughs> Probably a bit more of a limelight there if you come off the bench and score one winning goal in a Premier League game. Like uh, Burnley have likely made that signing thinking about one potential set of three points. It's not like a Jermaine Defoe signing mm. for Sunderland a couple of years ago where from January onwards he single-handedly keeps them up. Burnley are in a position at the moment where I think they're going to be safe, even though they technically have to talk to themselves into the sense that they're in a relegation battle. I can see Peter Crouch scoring a last-minute winner after playing for five minutes in one of the games, and that three points would be totally worth that move. Mm. What did John Walter say was that on his injury comeback when he was with us? Well, he's back at the training ground, obviously, because yeah. he's en route. So I think he's close to full training. Like, what you want to see is Robbie Brady back in that team, mm. uh, putting balls in on top of Peter Crouch's head. Jeff Hendricks, obviously, uh, playing regularly at the moment as well, after a slight blip in terms of not being in the starting 11 before Christmas. So uh, let's hope Peter Crouch just becomes the Republic of Ireland enabler. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That's certainly one way of looking at it, right? The uh, Irish Times this morning as well. It's uh, rugby here. Schmidt backs solutions man Henshaw to make the switch. Uh, there was one interesting quote from Joe Schmidt from that uh, piece uh, that Jerry Thornley writes about in the Irish Times this morning um, in one of the other papers about the solutions aspect of it. Uh, he says that he really could ask Robbie Henshaw to play anywhere in the pitch 
he said uh, if I said to him look Robbie I'm thinking about uh, putting you at number 8 he'd look a bit bemused but he'd say yeah I just need to get the calls I'll see Greg Feek and make sure I'm nailed on at scrum time um, so that's the attitude that you get from at lone people alone I think is the short story generally out of that one uh, that's Jerry Tony looking ahead to that uh, some reflections as well that who schooled who when Aki met Tualangi in 2007 this was in a uh, schools match uh, another part of the preview there and Jones insists that England can upset Ireland mm. shock headline uh, back page of the Herald is edge of the seat Schmidt quick to dismiss England boring barb so Joe Schmidt has pledged Ireland will provide edge of the seat entertainment in tomorrow's opener despite the fact that we've been dismissed as boring by one of England's coaches uh, the back page of the Sun goes with uh, I was going to say tab of the morning to you but it's a fairly straightforward pun when you're talking about Maurizio Sarri they go with Sarri seems to be the hardest word bullish blues boss won't ditch style and the Mirror got the exact same headline. Sarri seems to be the hardest words. Chelsea boss fears he's being ignored by his players. And you've also got that story about Robbie Henshaw starting at 15. Another Sarri pun on the back of the Irish Daily Star this morning. They go with Sarri's state of affairs. Chelsea boss is feeling the pressure. You've also got Ant's signs on. That could be uh, a fairly notable moment from transfer deadline day. It wasn't a transfer. It was Anthony Martial mm. putting pen to paper on a new five-year deal at Old Trafford. Uh, back of the Guardian this morning is Can You Feel the Power? Ice Cool Jones says England can shock the champions. You've also got a bit of cricket there in terms of the main picture. Uh, main photo on the front of the Daily Telegraph sports section uh, is also the cricket uh, in Antigua. But uh, Eddie Jones is saying, We will make the nation proud. England coach says there is no need for mind games and his street fighters can win. And the back page of the Racing Post, their rugby story is aiming high. Paris win can be catalyst for Welsh Six Nations title hilt, tilt. Uh, you've also on the front of the Racing Post, Dublin festival timing switch in bid to beat free. So Leopard Sound has taken extra precautions to protect this weekend's Grade 1 extravaganza. Uh, moving tomorrow's three chases, including Min's potential clash with footpad in the Dublin chase, to the end of a seven-card race. So it's obviously going to be frosty conditions early days tomorrow if you're heading along to Leopardstown. Um... Bernard Brogan, assuming not the Bernard Brogan on uh, YouTube here, says that if Kerry were playing in the Six Nations, I bet Owen would go. Well, you know, he's, he's caught me off guard there. He could be onto something. He's caught me off guard there. I didn't really think of that eventuality. Hopefully they'll get into it sometime. Uh, Adrian McGrath on YouTube says the Tony Kelly decision is going to further remove physicality from hurling, giving more support to ball retention. Yeah, I think he, I, I do think that Tony Kelly sending off on Saturday night is a fairly significant moment in terms of what we're going to see. Maybe not just this season, because change sometimes takes a while to happen in Gaelic games. But over the next couple of seasons, I, I think he's onto something there. Um, yeah, ball retention has never really been a huge thing in hurling. Though is the only um, thing. Maybe not ball retention. Clare brought in 2013. They did quite a bit of that sort of short passing thing that they capped a lot of heat for and then went on to win the All Ireland. Yeah, well, don't don't loke uh, and his puckouts back in the day would have. I've always ball thought that the sort of possession game in hurling. I don't understand how you so frequently give up the ball to. Sometimes, I mean, I don't know the exact percentages, but frequently it's a fifty-fifty ball. I mean, you, your man might be in a better sort of diagonal ball, slightly better position or whatever, but generally, I've just never understood it. Like, I know, I know you can hit the ball 70 or 80 yards if you want, but actually, guaranteed possession 20 yards up the pitch surely is better. Yeah, you, you would say so. Like, the diagonal ball does seem to be the happy medium, and Kilkenny were employing that quite a bit last weekend in the league as well. Mm. Of course, Brian Cody doesn't do tactics, but it did seem that 
when the, it seemed that the corner forwards and the full forward had a certain autonomy to just drift off to the sideline and if the slitter happened to be on the far, far side of the pitch you can expect that ball and those diagonal balls seemed to work a treat for them last weekend so I think that is the happy medium between ball retention on a short game basis and you know just pucking the ball 70 metres and see where it Yeah lands. and it might be a bit of a mix as well like it doesn't have to be sort of uh, all one or the other um, Surely if we're to be considered World Cup contenders we must win the Grand Slam says Darren Dotney uh, five games versus seven with similar demands in terms of standards uh, and Sam Funnel sort of just utterly misrepresenting what happened earlier on by saying so Schmidt sees Henshaw as a number eight I think he was not quite what he was saying it wasn't quite an Eddie Jones Jack no. Noel could play seven it's a good point though I, I was kind of thinking about that myself about the Grand Slam and World Cup mirror image that they are mm. like you could put down Ireland sometimes not winning a Six Nations as a grand Six Nations say on a year like on the even number of years when you have to travel to Twickenham and you have to travel to Power say if you win one of those games and you lose the other one and you win the rest of your games and you come second in the Six Nations you say to yourself that's a good Six Nations we didn't win it we came second but to win a World Cup you need to put in a Grand Slam performance like you need to win every single game basically yeah. I mean I think it's all relative to where we're at at the minute I remember was I, I may be wrong with my years it may be 2003 or 2004 when we won the first Triple Crown in God knows how many years I have the three programmes at home from that would have been 04 I'll show you England at the slam yes it was 04 yeah and um, I have the three programmes at home that at some point I'm going to put into a, a frame but that tells you what a monster deal that was at the time whereas now exactly like you're saying like a triple crown now would be almost seen if we only won a triple crown it would almost be seen as a failure yeah it's true uh, like winning a triple crown this year would probably constitute a grand slam I think mm. I think we're, I think we're going to beat France at home and uh, I think we're going to look after Italy so the, I, I then think the, the triple crown is the harder part on a year like this year we're going to murder them what was it slaughter them was what you were saying earlier on of England all, all of all comers. Well, potentially. I, I particularly, I think uh, Ireland will be licking their chops at, at the scent of England tomorrow. You're, you watch more rugby than you uh, than you let on when you're using that sort of that kind of expression. There's nothing genuine about that kind of. Um, I never sorry. said I didn't watch loads of rugby. I do, but I just watch it from uh, my home instead of you know outdoing a, a genuine rugby club man. <laughs> uh, right, get your comments coming into us on the hashtag or on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter and we shall bring them to you before uh, we leave you which will be uh, just over an hour's time we've lots of good stuff coming your way we're going to be speaking to uh, Mike Tindall and Alan Quinlan on the rugby Phil Thompson is going to be standing by uh, to chat about the weekend's football and obviously about the Monday night game as well where Liverpool are in action against West Ham so that's all coming your way and do keep your comments coming our way last night on Off the Ball Kilkenny and Ballyhale Shamrock's hurler Colin Fenley joined Nathan uh, for a chat around his club's journey in the AIB All-Ireland Club Hurling uh, Championships and there's loads of of that conversation you can check out the full piece up on our uh, website or up on our YouTube channel but the lads also got talking about Colin's time in the army the Lebanon's grand I've heard it's like it's the best training camp in the world that when thankfully at times when there's peace over there that actually you're training twice a day you come back like a tank yeah I wouldn't say no I came back like a tank but there's plenty of days I come back like a tank sorry um but uh, yeah, no, it was it was nothing happening over there. You know, you get your running, you get your gym in during the day, and uh, that that's pretty much it. Um, so, whereas some people maybe look at teaching as a as a good profession for GEA players, you just went a slightly different route. Slightly different, yeah. No, um, so certainly with the army, there was a lot more leeway, so it was, and uh, you're able to. They, they, they gave time towards sports. They, they emphasised a lot of the army on sports, um, right. which was obviously suited me. And did you enjoy it? Or was it very much uh, a means to an end? 
it means to an end, to be honest. Um, I, I enjoyed it only because doing so well with Kenny. Right. You know, um, there wasn't much, there's no job satisfaction in it for me. Um, I'm sure for certain lads they do, but in the army itself, there's nothing to do. Like, you know, it's obviously a good thing there's nothing to do, as in um, army wise. But, yeah. but other than that, you know, you walk down to the locker rooms and actually see lads sitting around doing nothing like because there's just nothing to do and from things like this like people coming out and saying there's nothing to do and then the high lads are wondering what's going on helping lads are doing nothing and then they kind of enforce things to happen but there's literally nothing to do what the sort of issues is, is it just boredom just boredom absolute boredom and you know and again from this at the top lads will probably come down and say oh we need to do this we need to do that and uh like there's, there's actually nothing to do like you know the, it's a whole revamp that needs to be done um, and what would you like to be doing what would you like, it's, a, it's a conversation um, that probably doesn't happen very often and you're out of it now you can be perfectly honest more options like you know they could easily they, they do trades in there in the army like you know and you'd like to see a lot more lads push towards doing the trades and maybe helping out in different ways like you know um, you know there's so many barracks there as well they're all closed down like could be opened up for so much more like there's so much more help to public communities um, that can be done you know it's not being done and uh, it, it, it's it's crazy like yeah. you know just comparing to the nurses like how much work they do you know and again it's not the lads at the bottom it's not their fault you know um, it's not the people at the top either like they, they, they can't say you know go do more hill walks and stuff like you know it's yeah, it, it sounds as though you're almost creating a situation where you're encouraging laziness among yeah. very fit young men in their 20s who, as you say, if they were steered in the right direction, firstly, they can be coming out of the army with good qualifications that will good serve them from exactly, then on. But yeah. also, at that age, they can be using that experience in local communities, in voluntary organisations, and, and making use of their time. Yeah, exactly. But like, I, I wasn't too bad. I didn't have a mortgage. You know, I didn't have a family to pay for, and and that was grand. But I, I can't imagine how other lads pay for it. But then you kind of see like where the work is. There's nothing to do. Like you wonder how you can ask for more money. But certainly with lads of families and stuff like that, they, they need to to, to build their future there. Yeah, Callum Fennelly on the show with uh, Nathan last night. That was just a short segment of a longer chat. You can check out up on our YouTube channel and on offtheball.com. The Defence Forces were in touch last night to issue a rebuttal of their own. Um, saying, we're surprised and disappointed to hear these comments from a former member. Uh, Ugly Naheran takes pride in our members, they say, uh, who achieve at the highest levels in sport. However, while sport is an integral aspect of our culture, it's not the only aspect. Ugly Naheran uh, prides itself on the dedication and sacrifice that its men, women and their families make daily in defence of the state, assisting government agencies and working in uh, multinational peacekeeping missions. Uh, we also offer unique career opportunities and specialist training for our soldiers, sailors and air crew who wish to develop themselves personally and professionally so that was the response of the defence forces yesterday and as I said that full piece available uh, up on offtheball.com and uh, needless to say there's been a breath of uh, response to that piece with Colin Fennelly yesterday both from you and uh, from the broader media as well and it covers uh, all aspects of the debate so an interesting conversation worth checking out up on our YouTube channel we're going to be uh, joined a little bit later on by uh, Mike Tindall and Alan Quinlan we're going to preview the weekend's rugby there's plenty to speak about in that regard also the hurling conversation Owen has struck a bit of a note with some people um, hit and hope uh, hit and hope ball in hurling 90% of the time says Sean too on YouTube 90% of the time, probably. Is this, uh, well, no, I, 
I'm not sure. I think 90% is a bit strong, but there is certainly an element of hidden hope. But there is also... Uh, <laughs> I can't believe I'm making so many rugby comparisons this morning. Rugby, uh, rugby fever is really set in. Genuineness is diminishing. Um, there is a sense of kind of territorial uh, advantage when you puck the ball 80 yards. Mm. It's out of your danger zone. It's in the opposition danger the zone. The only difficulty is it can come right back down your neck two seconds later. Well, that's what they're thinking as well. It's just constant territorial uh. bombardment. And if it comes off, it's, a, it's, it's not that big a risk, but the potential reward is massive if you win the ball in that position. So why wouldn't you do it? Like, a, if you think about it tactically, it actually makes sense sometimes. Well, is, isn't it almost, couldn't you argue as well, by the exact same token, that it's actually panicky? That what you're saying is that you know it's not in our territory. It's so far away that nobody can score from there anyway. But actually, isn't there a little bit of panic about that as opposed to um, you know like Bernard Brogan is back in touch with us again? Again, I point out it's not the uh, when you can hit the ball over 100 meters in hurling. It sometimes makes sense just to let rip from the defensive square uh, to the offensive lineup. Yeah, I agree. Like put it this way: if you're a football team and you win the ball back under your posts. Mm. And let's just say you can kick the ball 100 yards. You would definitely do it because if you've just won the ball back under your posts, first of all, the defensive formation has not developed in the opposition side. So that means that you have far more of a chance of actually winning primary possession. And because you can't kick the ball 100 yards, you have to move the ball a lot slower in football and that allows time for a defensive structure to come into place and that is why blanket defences are much more of an issue in football than they are in hurling. In fact, blanket defences aren't an issue in hurling. Yeah, but the sweeper hur- and the blanket defence is a far different thing. Hurling defences probably keep their shape a bit more on that very basis. Like, hurling defences understand that actually if the opposition get this ball don't 100 yards down our neck, we're going to have to be here so there's no point in them pushing forward in any way. Um, so, you know... I'm all for knocking 15, 20 yards up the pitch and keep it's, doing It's that. been done. It's, it's certainly been done over the last couple of years. But uh, I, I do think it's not so much hit and hope. I think there is uh, a method to the madness. Uh, and method to the madness uh, was very much the case as well at Anfield uh, during the week when Liverpool managed to uh, ground it out against Leicester. John Giles, though, was not overly uh, happy with the ground staff on Wednesday night. Well, I think they should be up before the Football Association for that. I mean, right. the lads on the television that I was watching were making a bit of fun of it, a bit of a joke with I don't think, I didn't think it was funny. And today, I still don't think it was funny. I thought it was very, very bad. Now, I, 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 so I, would, I wouldn't imagine that Klopp had anything to do with that. Maybe he had, I don't know, but I, don't, I wouldn't think he had. Because the same Klopp, was it last year, and they played West Brom, mm. uh, accused West Brom of putting too much water on the pitch to slow the game down. Now, what this, the, the ground staff were thinking about, I don't know. Uh, but it was absolutely ridiculous. I mean, how can you work uh, 15 minutes at half time in the opponent's penalty area? I mean, it, it's not it's not right. And and uh, I think there will be more made of it than there was made of it on the television last night. Yeah, it, even watching it at the start of the second half, it almost felt as well it could have ended up being quite self defeating because Liverpool obviously also hold possession inside their own half, and they like to get their keeper involved. That it could have come back to haunt them. Well, it could have. You know, Leicester were good. Uh, you know, Leicester have been having a bad time, the manager under pressure. Uh, but they could have sneaked that match last night, Nathan. You know, they'd had, they had chances. They didn't sit back all the, uh, for 90 minutes. They had chances to get at Liverpool, and they took them. You know, they did one or two very, very good chances uh, to win that game. So uh, Liverpool, like a lot of Liverpool supporters would be disappointed they got a draw. But it could have been worse. could have mm. been worse on the night. And I'm delighted to say that the Liverpool legend Phil Thompson joins us on the line. Morning to you, Phil. Have I got to listen to this? This is absolutely ridiculous, and John, John should know better. It's been ever thus. 
It's a storm in a teacup. And I'm not just saying it because it's Liverpool. Over the years of watching football, and I've seen it, and, and John should, why I'm saying John should know, going back not too far when the, when the football pitches were cutting up and there was divots, the, the um, ground staff would always get out there and what they would do, they would always put the divots back in the, in the offensive third for the home team. And that was ever thus. And that's why they do it. And that's why they will have done it. Of, of doing it because it's, it's cricket. What the cricket? What what did the ground staff do with cricket? It makes the pitch better on, on the way the home team likes to play the cricket. It's been ever thus in all sports. Is, does he not have a point, and Phil, I've that it's it. in, in modern day football it's unsportsmanlike? Oh, come on. Well, did they haven't got time to do the whole pitch? And and if that's what he's trying to say, they get out there and that's that's what it's been done. And that's why maybe people were making their job. John's trying to make it, make a big thing of this. I've seen it happen before. There was a lot. It was like slush on the pitch, which was slowing it down. The only thing I'll agree with him is, is Leicester did have a lot of chances, and it did negate the quick passing from the back and through through the middle. But to go on, and it should be brought up before the FA, I, I think, oh, my goodness. I've seen it happen so often in times Sometimes they come out, sometimes they go and they do the lines if there's a bit of snow on them. Or if there's anything, they clear them away. And if it's given Liverpool an advantage, obviously that's a thing, and obviously because that's the home team. But, oh my goodness, it's a storm in a teacup, for goodness sake. Yeah, just a final point on it, Phil, just to kind of say what Liverpool have actually said. Oliver Brown in, in The Telegraph has said that Liverpool, for their part, have had little time for any accusations of cynicism. Their position is that they focus resources on the cop end during inclement weather, since the size of the stand creates a slight depression that causes water to accumulate, is what they say. I'd, I'd be interested to see what would have happened if this was, say, <laughs> Leeds and Marcelo that. Bielsa, who had employed such a tactic. I'm not Michael Fish, I'm, I'm afraid, who does our weather. <laughs> uh, Phil, talk to us about... Um the, the uh, on-pitch uh, events, obviously, during the week. And like it's kind of struck me in some ways that maybe Liverpool players and management had seen the City result and almost instead of being inspired by it and thinking, sort of puffing up their chest a bit and thinking, actually, this is ours now to win, they almost seem to get a little bit frozen by that result. Absolutely, and, and that's the way it's, it's going to go now between the end of the season. People think it was, um, it was all going to be fine for Liverpool and the result after the Man City result was all done and dusted. It doesn't work like that. It can be pressure on both ways. And wasn't it, didn't we something see something quite similar? I did the uh, Manchester City game. They were scoring early. seemed to negate the, the way they wanted to play. It's like, oh, we scored now. We're going to score again in a minute. And the passing was too slow. Hence, the same thing happened with Liverpool. The passing, again, uh, was too slow. The pitch, as we used to say few years ago the pitch was a leveller because the pitch was slowing up the ball and of course for the home team and Liverpool who want to attack a bit quicker it, it didn't help with their um, moving the ball quickly so it does bring its own pressure with this and I think that's what Liverpool are going to have to deal with that's what Jurgen Klopp is going to have to do the players but the same with Manchester City because they didn't sort of deal with it very well against Newcastle yeah, I suppose the only thing about Manchester City, obviously, is they don't have, I mean, I use the word loosely, but the baggage of that gap between uh, between drinks, as we'd say, 
uh, from a Liverpool perspective. And at times like that, Phil, I suppose in a lot of ways that you look to the manager right as a sort of a lightning rod for a lot of this stuff. I did see uh, an interview that he'd done with the BBC at some point. It might have been actually pre that game uh, during the week where he was saying he wasn't really enjoying the pressure of it, that it wasn't something to enjoy. Um, it struck me as a bit of an odd comment maybe in some ways from Jurgen Klopp who should be trying to take the heat maybe off some of his players here. Yeah, it's, uh, listen, it's it's pressure. The thing is Manchester City have been there. They've, they've done it. They won the title last year in absolutely fantastic style. Um, and so you could say that they can deal with it. Jurgen Klopp, I'm, I'm quite surprised at it because he dealt with it particularly in Dortmund when you're playing against sort of the side like like Bayern Munich and you've got huge pressure knowing that Bayern Munich can win every single game. Um, and I just think, and I do find that quite quite odd when he's saying he finds it very difficult to deal with the pressure. Listen, I'd rather have this pressure of being five points ahead, letting everybody else catch up and let Pep maybe, having spares only two points behind them now, being a little bit closer for them. Yeah, and like and the the overall thing for me, sort of regardless of because we're there's an element of supposition here, right, in terms of how the squad or the management are feeling. And from what we read about Anfield during the week, there was a bit of a subdued atmosphere from the fans as well. And like regardless of how that impacted during the week, it's now become a real conversation that maybe this team might have frozen up a little bit, and that's become it's going to become a very different challenge for them now, isn't it, over the next few weeks? No, you just got to accept it. And, and I know that um, possibility is always there. That's why I'm saying since you've been there, Liverpool players haven't. So it's, it's there it's to embrace it. You have to embrace the pressure. And it does. And obviously, I'm talking from a position where I won seven times and you won it again and again. But that brings its own pressure. These players have to embrace it and they have to say, what a fantastic position we are in. We can do something absolutely phenomenal for this football club, which will be talked about for absolute years. Don't be fearful of it. Mm. Don't sort of clam up. Enjoy it. Embrace it. Be bullish. Go for it. All those sayings, and that's what I'd be saying to them time and time again, is to alleviate it and just enjoy the time. Is that the kind of messages, I mean, you mentioned your own title runs there, Phil, of which there were many. Is that the sort of message you would have got from, I mean, Shankly, more so Paisley, obviously, in your time? Yeah, Shankly and Paisley, it was, it was the same thing. More with Bob, it was going for it again. We didn't rest on our laurels at all. It was there. You've, you've done it once, and that's why I think people are fearful of Liverpool. They don't want, people don't want to see Liverpool, and maybe Johnny Giles has got a little bit of that, because he played at that particular time when Liverpool were kings. And it was, a lot of people don't want to see us being like, oh, oh, nice Liverpool, play the nice way and they do things the right way. But the fear of them is that, that cycle that always comes around and ooh, it could be Liverpool's time again. And it's embraced the time. These, these players could do something special. 29 years, and if they bring it, and that's huge pressure for those lads. But when you get in there and you're doing it and you're doing it right, you have to have the good backroom staff to just get the right words and, and have trust in your players. Get the players to trust in you of what you're saying is right. And I think all this can help Liverpool in these last 14 games. Last 14 games, my goodness. We're talking like there's about five or six to go and there's 14 games to go. Is this the best Liverpool team of the last 29 years, Phil? Um, 
the best Liverpool team in the last 25, yeah, 29 years. Um, possibly. You know, you, you look at the other teams, they, they've all had different things. I suppose this is near as dammit. Probably not as good as midfield as what some of them had. Stephen Gerrard, Xavi Alonso. But, but the offensive lineup, are they, are they as good as Suarez, Sturridge and Sterling at the time? Probably, I'd have to say yes. The defence is, is better than it's been for years. If Brendan Rodgers had, had this defence, Brendan Rodgers would have won the league by 10 points. So there's a little bit of difference. So it, it is possibly the best that can produce a title winning um, run. It obviously all kicks on to London on Monday night, Phil West Ham, and sort of, I suppose, casting some of that pressure behind it. Like the evidence almost of the nervousness was the lack of creativity, um, maybe up front. What's, what sort of reaction are you expecting now? It's, I mean, obviously, it helps maybe in some ways that they're not at home on Monday night. I think that's that's the big thing and I think I heard you talking before about sort of defensive strategies and teams behind the ball making it difficult for for people to sort of you know see it to play and how to break down pack defences you go into West Ham West Ham fans are going to expect their team to attack and I think looking at the West Ham side they're not set up to sort of sit back their defensive players are not really um, get behind the ball or high press. So there will be a little bit... Of, I think this will give Liverpool in the vast open spaces of the London Stadium plenty of room to work to and to counter-attack what they really do well. So playing against West Ham on Monday night might just be a little bit in Liverpool's favour. Because you never see West Ham sort of having packed defences and getting everybody behind the ball the way you've seen Leicester do and the way you see Burnley do, the way you see Newcastle did against uh, Manchester City. So that might help Liverpool a bit on Monday night. I do expect that. Yeah, although, I mean, a lot of teams might have looked at what Leicester City were doing and thinking, actually, this is the way to play them. Um, City-Arsenal on Sunday. Uh, Phil, this is a game that will be live and off the ball. Uh, your old colleague Mark Lawrenson will be there for us um, alongside Nathan. And it just struck me maybe in some ways that in the same way that Liverpool have a brand new set of circumstances to deal with in terms of the pressure uh, that's mounting there, in some ways, conversely, City might be looking at that and thinking, actually, if we can drive it home against Arsenal on Sunday and heat the pressure back on, it's also a slightly different set of circumstances but maybe more positive uh, from a City perspective Yeah it is City, City will know that and it, it's, it's one of the bigger games against the top six so City will, will be setting up they were poor on Tuesday night by their standards and no more so than just looking at the face of, of Pep Guardiola I was doing it for the Sky Soccer special and I was uh, they kept on cutting to, to uh, Pep and for the first time it looked as though he didn't either have the answers or he was looking and thought his players aren't listening because he just kept sitting there holding his head the way he does and he's going, oh my goodness, what's going on in front of me? He scored after 24 seconds, you thought that would open the floodgates. But the passing was so slow. It would, they were moving it slowly, which was allowing Newcastle to get back. And they created only a few chances which will have really disappointed them for so much possession and it brings its own problems <laughs> and that's what I was saying to you earlier about the both teams Liverpool and Manchester City scoring early but it does it brings its own pressure on and Manchester City looked as though they choked a little bit later on for once teams who, who got an opportunity took those chances against Manchester City and they didn't look comfortable they didn't have answers which is very very unusual 
So they'll have to respond against Arsenal. It's got the makings of a great game, but I, I don't think Arsenal are defensively sound to actually sort of um, to keep Manchester City out. I really don't. Uh, on, the, on the other hand, I think the attack of Arsenal could cause problems. Danilo, for my money, is not good enough at left-back. Absolutely. He'd be a weak link, and I would target him in the game if, if you were um, Arsenal defence. And uh, just finally, the, that squeaky bum time that we, uh, we've been speaking about. Liverpool to overcome that and get it done. Phil, I presume, in your thoughts overall? I do. I think Liverpool can do it this year. I think it's... It, it's listen, it's going to be tight, but the end of January, Liverpool, five points clear. Goal difference is quite even. I would think you're not going to get a better chance. And I think Liverpool can do it this year. All right, I said at the start of the season... I said, Liverpool can win the title this year, but if they don't win the title this year, it will definitely be next year because that's where the gear and up. City's players will be a year older, but I think Liverpool can do it this year. Phil, thanks a million. My pleasure. Thanks very much, guys. Thanks a lot. Phil Thompson on the line there, looking ahead to the weekend's football, primarily, obviously, uh, Liverpool and somewhat confident that they're uh, going to get it done. There's definitely a different set of circumstances. It's, it, it was just such an odd game during the week. Both games were so odd. Like, yeah, I definitely felt that, having looked at that City match, that it would inspire Liverpool. Because Liverpool never struck me as that team who could have the potential to freeze up, particularly, as he points out, there's still so many bloody games to go. I think every team has that potential to freeze up. when mm. you're, you're This up far from the finish line is, the, I suppose, the only caveat. It's just been like have they take have did they open up a lead too early almost mm. like the the Ireland football team scoring too early did Liverpool get that bit of luck that they needed for Manchester City dropping points around Christmas like was Christmas just too soon because there has been a bit of tension seeping in I I don't think it's to do with tension to be to be honest with you I right. think it's to do with the idea that every Premier League team goes through uh, a horrible patch at some point or another. And I think we're actually witnessing the Liverpool patch where they're struggling right now. Like they, they haven't really won a game comprehensively since Arsenal last month. That they've actually got through this period um, and they've lost to Manchester City, of course. They got knocked out of the FA Cup. But they're two blows that they could probably ship. They didn't lose midweek and they extended their lead at the top of the table. I think things are looking pretty good from Liverpool's perspective still. It's like they will, the, the wheel will turn back around in terms of Liverpool form. Just think that it might get inside their head as well, right? Because it might just be a shitty patch. That in the grand scheme of things is just that is only that. Whereas uh, it's being ascribed now to other more sort of significant issues about their incapacity to get over the finish line. And yeah. ultimately, at some point, that gets into your head. And well, if there's anybody who's got inside their own head. It's Manchester City yeah. uh, asking Kyle Walker to remove that brilliant Harry Maguire tweet the other night. Uh, like, I, I don't know whose idea that was. Was it? What was it? Pep's? So you know the meme of uh, Harry Maguire leaning over the railing, talking right. to his girlfriend after um, the, the World Cup game during the summer. And yeah. Kyle Walker posted that photo with the caption. So basically, they thought they were going to go seven points ahead. Dot dot oh, dot. Uh, which was brilliant. And uh, obviously, Pep or somebody told him to take it down. So if somebody's inside their own head, they're crapping uh, themselves. It, yeah. <laughs> a little bit. The, the big thing to look out for this weekend is, is Maurizio Sarri going to be Chelsea manager come Monday morning? Yeah. Like They're at home to Huddersfield. They should win, but I'm wondering, are Huddersfield about to ride a, a new manager wave? Who knows? Sarri seems to be the, the hardest word on. Can we, just, um, can, we, can we just gloss over that one? We brought you uh, some clips. Darren Cleary is standing by bringing up to speed with all the latest uh, sports news. We brought you some clips from our charity match uh, for the Irish Heart Foundation on Monday last. Kevin Kilban is not a happy man. 
just after I got my one out of ten at the time. Was it? Yeah. So I couldn't accept that. So I saw one from Adrian Barry. I mean, it, it, it just the the performance from Adrian Barry the other night showed exactly why I uh, made a scathing attack on him on that Monday. Why? Because it was as bad his performance as I suggested on uh, on Monday when I was on the show. Wow, talking about it, yeah. I can't play though, can he? It's not a football man. <laughs> do you know what? And this is. I, I, do, I don't know what happened to that video, right? But I have to say, cutting that dickhead off in his prime <laughs> as he was about to get in, stuck into me, who got, I think, from the... I think the official player ratings were done by the managers, as far as I know. So John Giles gave me a 7 out of 10. And uh, Kevin Gaban, who got like a 1 or 2 out of 10. And Nathan Murphy, who, as the commentator, the best commentator of the game, pointed out, I made look like an absolute idiot. Having some sort of a pop off me, how dare he? How absolute dare he? You, the managers actually do the play ratings. Absolutely, John Giles gave me a seven out of ten. On. Yeah, right. Okay, that's exactly what happened there. And I'll that's hear, really I'll hear nothing else. I don't want to. That sounds like a really stupid player rating. Other theory, darling. I mean, I'd, as far I'd be as I know, that's I was exactly John what happened. That player rating. Well, John Giles lifted the veil yesterday because he threw us all under the bus when he distanced himself from the player ratings. When Nathan had a moan to Giles last night and said, "John, I got a one out of ten. Can you believe that? <laughs> that's scandalous, ah, Nathan. I can't believe that. That's terrible." <laughs> well, having written him himself. Um, but yeah, I mean, and the best thing Kevin Caban did was almost not show up because it turns out when he did show up, he was absolutely brutal. He was lucky he got a game. Brian Kerr was strongly considering him keeping him on the bench. He should have stayed there. He hardly got a touch all game. He was terrible. Well, touch like own, a trampoline. His only, um, his only, I suppose, introduction in the game was not very well. And then when he actually went in goal, it was even worse because his, the only influence he had was when he messed up for the goal. Yeah. He gave the ball to young Owen McMahon. I'm with you, Darren. What have you got for us? You're going to kick us off with the rugby? Well, a feast of rugby, Adrian. The Six Nations is upon us. The toughest possible start awaits Ireland tomorrow. Um, England. Oh, here we go. Hang about, hang about, Darren. Right, so here we go. Ball's fed out to the left. That's Johnny Ward. A little bit of a touch there. Def- quite defensive football, you think you'll find there from uh, the Dubs and White. So they have a bit of a pop here. Poor it's, all, it's all leading into one. I think Move of the match, I think it was. Just, here's Caban. Now, look, loses the ball again. <laughs> Typical Caban. So Murphy gets his... Uh, he's more comfortable with his hands on the ball, to be fair, Murphy, than at his feet. A little bit of a so look at number seven here. That's me. Looking for the ball all the time. Look at this. Gets the ball. He realises Murphy's on the shoulder. Oh! <laughs> Is that a crime turn? Let's not worry about what happened after that. <laughs> Let's not worry about what happened after that. You gave the ball away after that. Well, actually, I mean, I think that Joe Conroy was shown for the ball and then suddenly disappeared. So, I mean, that's... Uh, on, there wasn't I, enough meat on Joe it. Joe under the bus here. I'm, I'm looking forward to, you know, the BuzzFeed list where it's like 12 times presenters got extremely self-indulgent and that's <laughs> being number one on that list. <laughs> you have to have a pop back on. I've just been slandered for the last two weeks. Slandered across all off-the-ball platforms. Started with Malloy, Kilban and McCormick one night having an absolute pop off me. They, did, they just literally John laughed Giles, out loud. John Giles was going to, like sort of laugh his boots off at my quality I get a 7 out of 10 I do a Cruyff turn I hit the bar should have scored with the follow up I mean a lot of people were saying I was player of the match that's all I'm saying mm, well, I mean if you, if you say that's a presenter being self indulgent on that's on you and do you feel you've got your revenge now do you feel that you've been to get it cold it's uh, yeah like, like Kerry in 2009 going through the back door that's, that's you right now you know the feeling oh, straight through the front door with that Cruyff turn on you know well, that, that's true it would be better if you not make them push Darren a bit like um Nathan, there, I cut you off in your, uh, in your prime. <laughs> what have you got? Well, the Six Nations is upon us. The toughest possible start awaits Ireland tomorrow at the Aviva Stadium. England visit there. The full heat of the bitter rivalry felt this week. The English described Joe Schmidt's game plan as dull. One coach claimed Ireland would be bored into submission by playing against them. It may be left to Schmidt and his players to teach the English some respect. It's just people have different approaches. Uh, I, th- I think it's, 
Uh, it's incredibly important to respect your opponents. I think it's incredibly important to, to acknowledge what abilities they bring to the game. And um, you know, I, I don't think for a moment that it's going to be boring. I think it's going to be incredibly exhilarating. I think it's going to be edge of the seat because I don't think there's going to be a huge amount between the two teams. And so, you know, I, I, I do think people are going to be entertained. And one of the great things about being in the Aviva Stadium is the entertainment is partially provided by those outside the pitch supporting the team in, in the manner that they do. The players feed off that excitement and it's almost reciprocated by the crowd and, and we know we're going to have a big crowd in and we know that they're going to be incredibly supportive and at the same time respectful. To be fair to Eddie Jones, and I mean, you know, there's not a lot of reasons to be unfair to him. I don't think he was saying the games would be boring. You know. Ireland's approach... Eddie Jones never said anything about being boring. It was Mitchell. Well, I know, but we don't think that John Mitchell went off in a solo run, do we? Potentially. Uh, I, I think there is... No chance. Well, as Alan Quinlan described on the show the other day there's every chance that John Mitchell went off on a solo run given uh, a pass that's it's been fairly erratic at times I think what happened was John Mitchell was walking into that press room and Eddie Jones went up to him and said John here's a little grenade right when you're in the middle of that just pop the pin on it and lob it on in like it's consistent it's, it, it could easily the words that he used could easily have been Eddie Jones we're just giving Eddie Jones way too much credit. There's this belief that he's this master manipulator and he gets the message out in a way that will, at some stage, somehow benefit England. I don't think he's that clever. I think he's just asked questions and, unfortunately for Eddie Jones, he answers them with the first thing that comes to his head, mm. which just tends to rile up Schmidt. The best line Schmidt had yesterday was when he said, uh, what Eddie Jones says isn't really relevant to me and how I prepare my team, which was the Smack best down. burn of the week. <laughs> Now, the toughest challenge possible also awaits the Ireland women's team because England visit Energia Park. There are three uncapped players named among the subs for Ireland. Linda Zhugang, Anne-Marie O'Hora and Catherine Dane will be hoping to get their first international run out from the bench. Aoife McDermott is happy to face the best side in the Six Nations in the first game. Ah, look, I really look forward to it. Um, you're going to have to play them at some stage, so why not first up and, and you know, hopefully get us a really strong performance and set us up well for the, the rest of the campaign. Um, yeah, we're under no illusions. It's going to be a very tough game Friday night, but um, we're, we're up for it. We're ready for it. We have our, I think Adam Griggs has picked his strongest side um, and we're ready to go in all guns blazing. And I suppose you have to be very familiar with them. Played them last year at Twickenham in the Six Nations. Played the November International against them as well. With maybe the pool of teams that you play in um, exhibition games being quite shallow, you're probably used to playing these teams. So I'm sure you know an awful lot about England. Yeah, exactly. And that's an advantage. You know, they can say the same that they know a bit about us. But um, we'll definitely be trying to use that to our advantage. We gained a huge amount of experience playing them in, in November, and um, we got a really strong performance in there. Scored, uh, I think, three tries against them. So we'll be looking to definitely build and improve on that. Now there's extensive build-up to that game over on the Off the Ball YouTube channel. Will O'Callaghan was speaking to the players and the head coach Adam Griggs this week. It's been a great day so far for the Ireland team of the World Rugby Women's Seven Series. They're into the quarterfinals in Sydney after going unbeaten in the pool stage. Ireland started with a 7-7 draw with Russia, then edged Canada 15-14. That result made all the more impressive as they came from 14-0 down to record only a second ever win over the Canadians. That victory followed by a 22-19 win over Fiji. They finished top of Pool B. The quarterfinals are tomorrow. 
The Ireland under-20s face England from quarter past seven. Head coach Noel McNamara's starting team is made up of seven Leinster, six Munster and two Connacht players. One Ulster player has made the subs. In the front row props, Josh Witcherly and Thomas Clarkson will start alongside hooker Dylan Tierney-Martin. Charlie Ryan is in the second row with Niall Murray. Martin Maloney, Scott Penny and John Hodnot are named in the back row. Scrum half Craig Casey partners out half Harry Byrne. Captain David Hawkshaw alongside Liam Turner in the centre. Jake Fannery starts at full-back with Connor Phillips and Jonathan Wren lining out on the wings. Now in Gaelic games, Clare's Tony Kelly will have to watch his side face Kilkenny from the stands this Sunday after his one-match ban was upheld. He failed in an appeal to have the red card dished out against Tip rescinded the 2013 Hurler of the Year sent off early in the second half after a collision with Paddy Marr. Premier League clubs spent £180 million during the January transfer window, the first time the figure has fallen since 2012. Chelsea's £55 million spent for Christian Pulisic from Borussia Dortmund accounted for nearly a third of the total expenditure. Last year's winter transfer window saw top-flight clubs shell out £430 million. The £180 million transfer bill this time around is total gross spending by Premier League clubs for the 2018-19 season, estimated now to be about £1.4 billion, the second highest season ever following the record spend of 17-18, which was £1.9 billion. Now, there was plenty of Irish interest as well on deadline day. Some moves to tell you about Republic of Ireland midfielder David Myler has dropped down a division in search of regular first-team football. He's gone from Reading. He's moved to League One Coventry. He's there on loan until the end of the season. He made just five league appearances for Reading since his summer move from Hull. Aaron Connolly had a busy deadline day. He signed a contract extension at Brighton and then was immediately loaned out to Luton Town, who are the League One leaders. Graeme Burke is gone from Preston. The League One strugglers Gillingham have joined him. He's there on loan until the end of the season while Scott Hogan has departed Aston Villa he's moved to Sheffield United on loan until the end of the season that it? that is us good stuff Darren thanks for that uh, the Dubs get back on track this weekend I'm assuming is well we're in a bit of a depression at the moment two losses back to back is as bad as I can remember and I don't really know what to do I'm, I'm starting to quake in my boots Really? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Couldn't give a shit about the league, is that the... Um, no, I, I'd, I'd like to be competitive in the league. I think Dublin, this is probably the latest they've ever started a year under Jim Gavin. I'm not sure why it worked out. Even the year the All-Ireland Final replayed, they were back earlier and doing competitive training. But most of that team were on holidays 10 days before the Monaghan game. They'd only had two sessions as a group on the pitch. So I wasn't really expecting too much out of Monaghan. I'm not so sure the expectations would be would be too high this weekend. Um, you would hope that it would be an improvement. They were in a really good place to actually win the Monaghan game to be six points up at one stage during the first half considering how little football that group had played. Um, they did pretty well last weekend despite the losing. Yeah, right, we'll see how it pans out over the next while. Darren, thanks a million as always coming Cheers, to the studio for a play. Uh, by the way, just a reminder that you can uh, listen to hashtag OTBAM every morning. You can check that out over on offtheball.com if you're not uh, in a good Wi-Fi area. Always a handy uh, way to keep across the show. Uh, you just click on the player in the top right-hand corner of our brand-new website. Uh, you can minimise it and go about your daily uh, routine as much as you want. So check that out. It's up on offtheball.com. So uh, it's to uh, rugby return, just coming up on 10 to 9 on this uh, cold Friday morning. We are delighted to have you along with us and plenty of comments coming in as well, including for Alan Quinlan and Mike Tindall, who are going to be joining us shortly to preview the Ireland-England game. So keep those comments coming in and we'll bring them to the uh, two lads. But the rumour started early in the week that uh, Robbie Henshaw could be starting at 15 for Ireland it was confirmed yesterday afternoon by Joe Schmidt and here's uh, the Irish Independence Rory O'Connor on Henshaw's credentials at 15
So in 2017, he lost. Um, he pretty much knew he was losing Jared Payne to retirement, and he knew that Simon Zebo was gone to France and was thus ruling himself out of the equation. And while Rob Kearney has been an unbelievable servant who always delivers for Ireland, he wasn't sure what he had underneath that in terms of uh, full-back options. Now he has good players. He's Jordan Larmour who's come through in the last year. He's Will Addison who primarily plays at centre for Ulster but is, is, is able to cover full-back well. He's Andrew Conway, again, plays mostly on the wing for Munster but is an accomplished full-back. So he doesn't get many opportunities to try it and he tried, I think he put a, he put a, a hench on the bench against Fiji in 2017, November and the way the game went he couldn't bring him on there Joey Carberry got injured, they needed to win the game he put him on in the centre, there was some talk that during the November internationals he was going to get a run there as well but he pulled his hamstring and I guess at this stage you've got five games um, in the Six Nations that are competitive until the World Cup because the World Cup warm-up games are warm-ups and they're not, you know, they're, they, they will be mixed and matching but it doesn't count for much. And Joe Schmidt is, is in his final year. He's won the Grand Slam. He's won two Six Nations apart from that Grand Slam, you know, three in total. So while he wants to win this and, and spring into the World Cup from this, He's, he at the same time probably doesn't have the pressure on him from the IRFU perspective about winning it that he, he's not going to throw it by any means and I don't think this decision means he's going to throw it but I think he's got a little bit of freedom in which to experiment and this is a, a huge experiment to put in because for all that Kearney has played very little rugby Henshaw's played less since November um, that hasn't been actually made, made much of a point of it all yeah so like, you know, Henshaw came back played 60 minutes for Leinster against Wasp played really really well and is the kind of player who generally comes back and hits the ground running but he is He's had an injury hit year. He's clearly able to do it at a, at a certain level, and I believe that he will be able to do it on Saturday. I think he is he is more than capable of stepping up to the mark. He's a really accomplished rugby player in every part of the game. But we've never seen him. He's, he's played one. He's won one cap at Ireland for Ireland in the fullback role. That was in 2013. His debut was a 19 year old against the United States. I was there over in Houston. It didn't go particularly well for him. But then you know he was a teenager making his debut, so that's it's pretty irrelevant now. So it's a massive decision. Sorry, O'Connor on Wednesday Night Rugby with uh, Johnny Ward during the week. Alan Quinlan, good morning to you. Morning, Adrian. How's the form? Very good, no. Yeah, You're looking not, forward uh, to the weekend. I was sort of looking at the lineup for the Legends game, expecting to see no, the big man packing down. No, I'm doing friends, uh, commentary for France v Wales tonight and Virgin Media. Are you happy about that? Do you play at all anymore? Or no, I played that game two years yeah. ago and... Uh, that's it, the boots are gone. It's not really the sort of thing you can, it's not like a five-a-side you can sort of tip away at when you're done. Most of the guys are kind of do a little bit of training anyway, but um, I would have played if I wasn't um, doing France-Wales tonight. It's good crack. Yeah, yeah, for good cause as well, so people can pick up tickets. I think it's uh, available on the gate down at the RDS, so get yourselves down there for some uh, some great causes, obviously. Um, the big talking point, obviously, that we'll get to about Henshaw in a few minutes' time. It does feel, Quinny, though, a lot of the conversations that we're having about the Six Nations upcoming are all in the kind of context of... Rugby World Cup. It's in a way that I can't quite remember it being that way before. I presume that the expect our expectations of ourselves are so high that, and because we've been so successful in the Six Nations over the last few years, it's not that we're not worried about it, but it's everything is kind of, you know, is this a team that's going to start in the World Cup? It's all in a World Cup context, really. Yeah, it is, and it's 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 the first time that we've, um, you know, we've we've on the back of a Grand Slam. I know we won it in '09, but then there was, you know, two years to the World Cup. Um, Essentially, this one, this one is extra pressure, given what happened in November, being second in the world. Um, people are saying, you know, it's the World Cup that counts. But I think Six Nations titles and uh, are very, very important as well. And any of the players who will be in the squad and involved, um, given the depth and the quality of players that are there now, there's so many options in so many different positions that... 
um, they won't be slackening off any little yeah. bit and uh, I suppose it's the perception of the tournament now is it more important than the World Cup no the World Cup is probably the bigger thing at the end of the year but I think for this team to continue building momentum and to try and win a championship again you've got to deal in the here and now you know what I mean and not kind of forfeit success for, for potential success down the road um, but so it is massive I think at the end of it when you look back people will say if it, if it didn't go great for Ireland if they lost a game or two well it doesn't really matter it, it won't have a psychological damaging effect on them I don't think unless they completely capitulate which is not going to happen um, do, do you think that so like we've been discussing the whole Liverpool scenario and the little bit of a blip they had during the week and the impact that that regardless of how it came about right whether they froze because they went inside of the line or whether like Owen was saying maybe they just had a bit of an off day regardless of how it came about it'll take on a greater significance and that's maybe the only concern from an Irish point of view going into the Six Nations that like Owen was saying maybe the Scotland game is the most important one but if there is a blip somewhere along the line suddenly Ireland start to question themselves in a way that maybe they hadn't done before Potentially, um, I think dealing with pressure and no matter how many times you speak about it and um, I remember Ireland going to, to Murrayfield two years ago and, and you know genuinely spoke about the threats and uh, Scotland were coming good and they were going to be very dangerous and you try and get everything right as a player and as coaches and um, so some things just don't go your way on the day and the opposition play that a little bit better mm. um, and you know we've seen so many times in sporting events where the better team doesn't always win or the, the, the favourites don't win and they freeze in the day, something goes wrong, a big decision goes against them and you know Ireland have to deal with all that kind of stuff now and signing good teams is, is coping with that and sometimes you have a blip and, and that pressure does tell even though you know Joe Schmidt and his team and his coaches they'll be for the last few months since November they'll be preparing for this and trying to get the minds right and monitoring and talking to players um, so you can't overemphasize it too much because then you're kind of you're, you're staying in a negative zone that about the what ifs and this could happen and that could go wrong you don't do that I think they, you just got to try and the, uh, the, the challenge is to try and focus on what they're doing well and what they have to do in the game and understand the threat of a big physical English side and rugby is a game of small margins. It can change very quickly. You can put a, a weaker team out in the field, a perceived weaker team against a stronger team, and if they're physically more dominant, they can win the game and they can win the collisions and they can you know, kick the letter off the ball and play in the opposition half and just force the, op the, the more talented team into making mistakes. I'm not saying there's any difference with talent tomorrow. I think Ireland are in a more confident place as regards their form. But this English side that Eddie Jones has picked is an incredibly powerful side who are, could easily challenge for the Six Nations. They could get a win tomorrow and they could be going for Grand Slams and stuff, you know. So they've got to go to Cardiff as well. It's a bit trickier for them. Um, but they've three games at home. So effectively, in my opinion, it's, it's, it's kind of a mini championship decider. First up, Wales-France tonight. If Wales were to get a win in Paris, they're on a roll. And, uh, you know... If Scotland were to beat Ireland next week, you know, they'd be two from two because they'd beat Italy tomorrow. So it's, a lot can happen in the Six Nations. And historically, we've been a little bit slow out of the blocks. Um, I hope we're quicker out of the blocks. And Joe Schmidt said that during the week. This is a game that just ignites you, focuses you. And, um, you know, dealing with that extra little bit of pressure will be intriguing to see because invariably for any team, 
you're going to have a, an off day or the opposition are going to have the purple patch. So their discipline needs to be good tomorrow and they need to, you know, play to their strengths. And, you know, I think John Mitchell was talking about Ireland being boring at the start of the week. Last year, they scored the most tries in the Six Nations and they were the most dominant team. They were a little bit slow, particularly in that first game in Paris where France unsettled them a bit and frustrated Ireland at the breakdown and stuff. So... They'll probably have to deal with pressure from England tomorrow, a different type of physical pressure, similar to New Zealand, I think, and they coped really well there. It seems, like you say there, Ireland aren't likely to capitulate. It seems that if you want any coach in the world to be in charge of your team when you're favourites for a game, it is Joe Schmidt. Yeah, I think so. He'll try and keep them grounded. And, and you know, look, people, <coughs> people always say, um, you know, when when a team that's probably favourites to win lose or they took their eye off the ball or they didn't that won't happen no they won't good teams and top teams top professional sides don't take their eye off the ball sometimes the opposition just come with an extra bit of energy or enthusiasm or aggression um, and they win the the 50-50 collisions because tomorrow's 50-50 a lot of the stuff I think we probably have a little edge now, before the game, at the breakdown with O'Mahony and van der Fleer and Standard are very good at the poach. Um, Mark Wilson, Vunapola and Tom Curry are probably not as dominant at the breakdown. Tom Curry is a super player, to be fair, the number seven. He's, he's very effective at the breakdown, very similar to van der Fleer, full of energy and pace around the field. He's still only 20. It's phenomenal. Mm. I just think a 20-year-old playing international test match rugby as a seven. In that position, who yeah. played tests in South Africa a few months ago. So it's, uh, it's phenomenal. But um, they won't underestimate him. Yeah, Joel will keep him focused. And I think he has said it, and, and sometimes you say it's coaches speak, you've got to focus on your strengths and make sure you implement your game plan. Of course, the individual players will watch videos and want their opposition and collectively Andy Farrell will have presented, Simon Issa will present videos about their lineouts, all that kind of stuff. Um, the attack, Joe will have showed there a lot of the stuff and you're, you have to be conscious of that stuff. Um, and then try and pick holes and find ways of and some games, essentially, you have to just roll up the sleeves and say, well, it might be a bit of a slugfest and there may be three, six points in it from penalty goals or drop goals. It was interesting. I was chatting to Clive Woodward a little while ago and uh, this morning for, for breakfast radio and uh, he seems to think that England, uh, if they can get the scoreboard taken over with, with an early penalty, maybe a drop goal or two, that they'll settle and that they'll be happy with a bit of a slugfest as well so you might get two teams cancelling each other out or we may see yeah. but they won't care if it's boring and they get no, the nobody will care Can I, just on the one thing that strikes me is it's not a fantastic stretch of the imagination to suggest that this 15 that starts tomorrow could actually be our first pick 15 come the World Cup like Van der Flyer possibly might be the one that you may sort of switch in and out but that notwithstanding that the rest of them that that might be the shape of it yeah, it's very close to it. Uh, anyway, you, you, you'd imagine that all the big names are in there. There's, um, there's still a fair few guys chomping at the bit there and trying to trying to force people off that team. And I think he's in a position now, Joe, that he can make changes. You look at someone like uh, the two players, Henderson and Byrne, you could easily start either of those in the second row. Um, is it the 15 that will start the World Cup do you think I don't know I think they'll be, it'll be close to it um, if players dip in form the back row is an area where 
it could change very, very quickly. You know, Levy was outstanding last year in the Six Nations, and for Leinster, Van der Fleer is is you know he's been sensational since he's uh, you know you think back 12 months ago he damaged his cruise shit he was a starting seven in Paris um, how can all flip around um, so quickly he was out for a long period Jack Conan will certainly not want to buy into the perception that CJ Stander is there to stay for the next couple of years even though Stander's has been you know so consistent in his performance so the coaches will want that kind of hunger and desire Reese Ruddock um, Jordy Murphy um, you know, there's a fair few guys in the back row, loose forwards there can can challenge and maybe make change. You think Will Addison is someone who could potentially Andrew Conway, um, you know, Rob Carney's not gonna be pleased, is he? Um losing out as full back and so there's a number of guys there and, and the whole idea is is to have more depth at the World Cup and maybe change. On that point, is it surprising in some ways that I know that it seems as if it was the intention to have played Henshaw at 15 during the Novembers at some point, but he obviously picked up that injury and it didn't get to happen. I think it might have been Gavin Comiskey that had written that uh, during the week. So I understand that it's not just in a World Cup year that he wanted to play him there, that there was a little bit of a gap before that. But it does strike me as the one position where we talk about the possible replacements, which we've done over the last few weeks, that actually we're not as well stacked with specialists as we are not for almost every other backs, yeah, yeah, position not pitch. because um, Larimer can play there um, Carberry Carberry um, Will Addison can play there Rob Carney obviously is the one who's been there for a long long time and been brilliant um, does it matter that, that we don't have those specialists is that just something that from all of us looking in sort of it's, um, ideally you'd have specialists guys in the four provinces four, four Irish qualified players playing 15 kind of week in week out for the big games and that are natural full backs so you know I, I remember watching Robbie Henshaw when he started out with Connacht playing as a full back and being incredibly dangerous hitting the line and he's a wonderful footballer um, the only difference about playing as a fullback, and I spoke to Johnny Lacey, who's the international uh, international referee at the moment. He played with Munster and he played with Shannon for me for years. And Johnny was a brilliant fullback in my opinion, and and he achieved a fair bit. Um, and I just kind of asked him, and he's obviously a player development coach as well, so he's very very much into the intricacies of playing as a fullback and being a skills coach. Um, and he's, you know, I was asking what's different about fullback. Well, you can put very good footballers at full-back, but you still need to have a kind of a cool uh, mind and a, um, a visual um, excellence for, for not where the ball is landing, but where you think it's going to land, if that makes sense, Adrian. Yeah. You know, yeah, so yeah. obviously when the ball is at the base for Rook, you can see full-backs, they're shimmering a little bit and they're anticipating where, whether the nine is going to box kick or kick long, but they're also kind of anticipating if the 10 gets it, is he look? Is he going right? Is he going left? Um, if centres have it, are they going to put grubbers through to try and uh, you know get wingers to uh, free up the winger chasing onto the ball? So it's all about anticipation, and it's not just the full back; it's the back three. So Stockdale and Earls will be very important in their communication, mm-hmm. um, in how they they kind of sweep over and back and cover, and sometimes the full back is the last. He's the last man. Uh, he's the last tackler. You know, the winger comes in and the full-back is usually the person that you want making that last tackle and you need him sweeping across. So they'll have worked a lot on that. Um, he's a very intelligent player, Robbie Henshaw. He's an incredible footballer. You know, 
if there was a Lions team being picked in the morning, you'd, you'd Henshaw would be in the mix. What, what position? Well, he could, he's <laughs> definitely going to. Do you know what? If he if he'd be in a stronger position now if he performs yeah. well as a full back because you're saying he can play loads of different positions. But Robbie Henshaw's a guy you can put on the wing. He can he can play twelve, thirteen. 14, 15. It's tough on Rob Kearney, but I think the reason it ha- it's happened is obviously because of form and then to try and try and get an outstanding an option, rugby yeah. player on the field as well with Aki and, and Ringrose. Joe Schmidt was talking about it in his press conference yesterday about the uh, his decision to start Henshaw at 15. Uh, Robbie trained last week. He trained in November, uh, a little bit of fullback, so it's... N- he actually trained a little bit in Australia, so it's been something that has been an option for us for quite some time. And Rob ran out of time a little bit, and we like the flexibility of Jordan on the bench, um, covering a number of positions. I thought he came on really well last season against England, um, coming into 13 and, and having to play the last 35 minutes. So, um, yeah, it's 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 one of those things that. We've seen as an option for quite some time, so it's it's probably not as much of a surprise to Robbie or the team um, as it maybe is to other people. Yeah, not much of a surprise, but is it still a risk considering his lack of game time at international level? Yeah, it's probably more risk is lack of game time, full stop. He hasn't actually played that much himself. We, we got to a situation where we had a few different options there, um, and... Really, we just felt the way he trained when we were away and the way he's trained this week um, that it, it was worth pursuing. So clearly, yeah, Robbie Henshaw is doing something right at 15 in training, Alan. Well, <coughs> excuse me. Um, that's it, and he puts a lot of emphasis on how they train as well, and it, um, the training is pretty high intensity, and, and um, you know he's seen stuff, so uh, it's not for us to kind of challenge that it is a risk you know there's no doubt about it he'll probably understand himself that it is a little bit risky but he's confident in his ability to do the job there and I think there's a similar situation maybe a little bit with England with Elliot Daly at full back he's he's not a natural full back I think wing wing is probably his specialist position as well and Eddie Jones pushed him in there last year and and he didn't he wasn't successful there when you think of Maybe Mike Brown, he's probably similar to Rob Kearney, isn't he? Maybe with just absolute security and... Daly's uh, more of a risk than Henshaw, isn't it? Is it? Do you like just because of the way Ireland play and because of the, the balls that he's... Daly's played, he's played there um, in, in recent that. test matches, so it's probably not. We haven't seen Robbie Henshaw there Schmidt in avoided the question when he was asked, is it a risk flame at 15? He said, well, it's a risk flame at all because he hasn't played very much and totally avoided the question about his specifically at 15 so clearly I mean to me that says that I think he'd be successful why wouldn't you be a little bit concerned I about think he'll, he'll be successful like I said just some of that positional stuff and we mightn't even notice that the, the lay person mightn't even notice that it's, it's, it's just being a yard ahead of the, the, where the ball is is he in Rob Car- I mean I don't know right, but is he in Rob Carney's ear this week going listen give me what you got Henshaw yeah look I think um He'd be very, very disappointed, Rob Kearney. He's a very competitive person, and um, he's had a few, you know, small setbacks before. Um, he's had a few injuries, but he's been probably our most decorated player um, with the success he's had. I don't think he'd be kind of willingly going up and saying, "Do this, this, and this," because it's not natural. I don't think Robbie Henshaw will be looking for it. But um, 
if the advice is asked for, I'm sure it'll be given. You know, they're close, they're teammates in Leinster, and they'd be close to each other. Um, but look, he's got to dust himself down now, Rob Carney, and the wheel can turn very, very quickly. You know, there was talk before, you know, before the November series that after Jordan Larmer's performance against Italy, that he'd start against the All Blacks. But you know, they went back to to Rob Carney, and he's never let the side down. And and I I, I sense that it could happen again. You know, it may it may happen again. There might be a reshuffle in the centre for Scotland. Who knows? But. Um, it's tough on him, um, but he's got he's to deal with it this week now. Just on Elliot Daly, you might put this point to Mike Tindall, but uh, Austin Healy is saying in the Telegraph this morning that there might be a situation where Billy Vunipola just drops back behind uh, Daly during Conor Murray's box kicks because if you catch cleanly Conor Murray's box kick, then you're in trouble as well in terms of penalties, etc., etc. So what do you think? Is that something a lot, that a lot of teams can do that. They drop, drop mm-hmm. a back row or um, a six or an eight back to, you know, in the backfield to maybe... A catch and carry, or if the winger or fullback catches it, that they have an option to pass, or they're the first person to clean out that breakdown to help him. So yeah, it's um, I, I, it's it's something that could happen. Um, the execution is 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 vital here that the kick is not too deep and it's contestable. And if it's contestable, then it's 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 very effective, you know. So um, it, they could well drop someone backfield, yes. Uh, a few comments coming in. Michael Duffy, come on Ireland, what a team and squad that they, uh, they're incredible. The Dubs and Irish rugby have set the bar high. You having that? They sure have. The Dubs have. I'm a fan of the Dubs, even though I'm a tip man. Um, yeah, but the bar, you, when you're on that high, it's it's a challenge to keep it going, isn't it? This is, this is a bit different than... This is a bit more evenly matched, shall I say, than, than <laughs> the Dubs, because uh, they're incredible side and, and, and more... And it's like Dublin versus Kerry is what you're saying. Really, really strong favourites when they play. The top two favourites for the All-Ireland. Genuinely, there's four... The, uh, I know I'll confuse people if I start going into the Go matches and the what-ifs, but, you know, Wales, if they win in Paris tonight, they're on a run. They're on a roll. They're up front first. They've got England in Cardiff. They'll fancy that. They've got Ireland in Cardiff. They're going to beat Italy, and then they've Scotland in uh, in Murrayfield. You know, so they they like if they get on a roll, they're all what ifs. Right. Scotland themselves, like I say, if they beat Ireland next week, um, they do have tr- two tricky ones away. But they've won in Paris before, and and uh, they've got to go to Twickenham. So there's, it's very evenly matched, and I think there will be. There'll be a few ups and downs in this tournament. France, who knows what they'll be like. Um, We did mention at the top, and a reminder again, that there's a brilliant game on in the RDS tonight. If you want to get yourselves along, uh, tickets still available uh, and will be available on the gate. Ireland against England, legends. We'll see the likes of Gordon Darcy, Big Mal O'Kelly, Shane Byrne, uh, Josh Lusey is going to be there, Mike Tindall as well. They're all playing each other for a number of rugby charities, including the uh, Doddy Weir. Uh, My name is Doddy Foundation, so do get along there. Also available at Ticketmaster.ie, €15. uh, on general sale and uh, tenure for students. I'm glad to say that one of those legends that I mentioned joins us on the line now. Mike Tindall, good morning to you. Good morning, lads. How are we? Very good. What sort of uh, shape are you in for? We've just been chatting to Alan Quinlan here who's in the studio with us about uh, what sort of... He's he's balked at the uh, the game tonight, Mike, needless to say, but um, what sort of shape do you keep yourself in? <laughs> uh, try to do the best, but every year it gets a little bit worse. You know, it's just the way, the way of the world. Um, but yeah, I think... To be able to get the teams that we get together each year to play this game and raise the money that we do for the charities that the cha- charities that change and obviously with it being Doddy, 
this year. He's a huge character within the game, and um, I think it's just a way of the guys just rallying around people that they need to support, and it shows that everyone in the game is, you know, will fight for each other. And even though you'll go to war on the field off it, you've all got each other's back, and I think that's the amazing thing about our sport. Yeah, it's for a really great cause and people should uh, get themselves along there this evening. I was having a look when we knew you were coming on at your record against Ireland. Mike, do you know what it is off the top of your head? Uh, it was probably very good at the start and then uh, <laughs> then tailed off uh, towards the end. I don't know. I have no idea. Exactly. You were you went 3-0 uh, in your first three, including your debut against uh, Ireland at Twickenham, I think. Yeah. Um, against you know, one Brian O'Driscoll who was also making his uh, Six Nations debut yeah. at that time and yeah. then it went uh, it went 3-3 when Ireland hit that purple patch but you saw it out in the end you have a 4-3 win-loss ratio in your favour against Ireland yeah the uh, the Croke Park years were very bad to us <laughs> um, we never won that so they were very bad um, but yeah we did so probably won all home games and lost won one away game and then lost I think that was it uh, three away games yeah. it would have been yeah. I think that was it um, yeah so look at it probably 4-4 four, four after tonight you know we'll t- set the record straight well, well, yeah well we, we lost two years ago um, uh, we lost two years ago as well so yeah we, we're owed it'd be good to start the weekend off well with a win and just put the pressure on the main boys to do a job on the Saturday where are England at Mike uh, coming force again in your opinion or you know they obviously had a dodgy start to 2018 but seem to come right by the end of the year where are England at in an overall sense it's a very good question no one really knows um, you know Eddie, Eddie changes so much um, you know you don't really I think even yesterday I, I didn't really have a clue who was going to play there's there's 10 people that you probably knew what what was going to happen and then if if T.O. hadn't got injured and if Brad Shields had come through, if Cochranesina had come through, you really wouldn't know what he was going to pick. And I don't think that's a great place to be. Uh, a, going into this year in terms of the Rugby World Cup, but going into an away game against Ireland. So, um, look, they, they put in a performance against New Zealand. I think the Japan game was a bit of a joke and I think they got that wrong in terms of how many changes they made. I just don't think we were in that in the in a good enough position to make those changes um, but you go into your hardest game first up hopefully you know both teams it's going to be who can hit the ground running first um, it's going to be interesting to see the style of that he's going to play um, I would have liked to have seen Manu at 13 and have two ball players at 10 and 12 but you've sort of gone Matt, I mean it gives us a good match up in Bundyaki and Manu but uh, I'd like to. I think if England go and try and play uh, sort of an attritional, physical, dominant sort of dominant way of playing, I'm not sure that's going to get it done. That's what we've tried to do for the last three attempts that we've been in the Aviva, and none of them have worked. I think they need to sort of change things around a little bit. But whether they'll do that, we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, just one more on Eddie Jones. He's obviously had lots of interesting stuff to say about uh, us over the last few weeks, actually. Um, uh, it's too late to change now, and it, and it isn't going to change in the lead into the World Cup. But for you, is he the right man to be leading this England team into the Rugby World Cup later this year? Look, I mean, you can't you can't say he's not because, you know, he walks into the job and he wins 22 out of 23. But, you know, since then... The message that has been coming out of the camp has shifted a little bit in my eyes. It, it, it went from making sure that we were playing at an intensity and a speed in the games that other teams can't live with, whereas now all I seem to hear about, talk about is how much tr- they, how much, 
how intense the training is. I'm, I'm like, well, I don't really care how intense the training is. I want to see that intensity on the field. And I think, you know, we've had patches of that. I think the New Zealand game, obviously, the way they started, they, they blasted out the blocks. And that's what I want to see every week. Um, is it, I don't think we could do it. We can't do a change now anyway. So he's in there. He's in there till that World Cup. But I just want him to get back to playing at that where the ball's given a, a wee bit more air. Uh, you want to see the Vinopolas linking with the backs like they they were doing a year and a half ago, uh, which freed up so much space. You want, I want to see forwards doing little tip passes that instead of just running into brick walls. And uh, if they can get that right, I, I've got no doubt we've got a, a great team that can go and, uh, and get a win tomorrow. But, you know, the Stars have to align and, and they have to play at the top of their game because this island... What this island team has shown is they know how to win a game, whether they play well or whether they play bad. Their game is very uh, ingrained in them, so they're so comfortable and there's never any panic. And if you don't get your game right, they'll they'll swallow you up. Mike, it's uh, Alan Quinlan here. Just um, Eddie Jones this week has said, uh, and yesterday actually said, is that um, the, all the pressure is on Ireland. It's a bit different for us as Irish people having having that kind of pressure given the history between the two countries and you know what England have achieved and stuff like that before do you agree with him if you were in that England changing room tomorrow would you be kind of using that as a motivating factor maybe to to free yourself up mentally a little bit and say the pressure's on them the pressure's on them um is he right in saying that um, I, well, I think the pressure is on Ireland just because they're going in favourites and it's not happened uh, for, I would imagine, for quite a while that the Ireland have gone in favourites um, and so come favourites, I think. So um, I, think, I think the pressure is, I think from an English perspective, there's still a huge amount of pressure on this team. They're not delivering. Um, everyone got this cloudy vision of where they were um, a year ago and you know, that's sort of <laughs> just been shattered over the last year. So there's massive pressure on them going into a World Cup year that they're not quite where they thought they were. Um, but as I say, I still believe that we have the players to get back to where we were. Um, but for this game, I think Ireland being favourites is is bang right. They are the number, well, arguably the number one team in the world, let alone the official number two. And uh, so that that comes with, with the pressure that everyone now wants to come and get you. And, um, but whether it's going to affect the, the Ireland team, I don't think it is. If it if it helps the England players to play a better game, then I'm, I'm quite quite happy for him to use that. But I think realistically, there's there's massive pressure on both sides. Okay. Mike, do you think it's possible that Ireland bore the shit out of England tomorrow? <laughs> um, yeah, it's uh, interesting tact uh, for Mitch to go and uh, go down that route. Um, I think it's a, it's a compliment. Uh, I've been saying it a little bit on our on our podcast for a long time, and in terms of the way that Ireland play is very pragmatic, but you can't you can get frustrated with it because you you see when they play against USA or the second uh, bit, teams a bit low down that they give the ball so much air um, and they run in tries, but then against the tight against the better teams they they play percentage effective physical rugby and are unbelievably good at it so even though it frustrates opposition and they might want to call you boring that is probably a, a big boost to to Ireland because it just means that you know 
they would like to do it, and they're not being, they're not being able to do it, and that's why I think if England go tomorrow, and I thought Joe Smith played a quite a good game in terms of saying, oh, we're expecting this brutality. Um, he wants them to come with that physical game because he knows that that's a game that Ireland can can quite easily dominate because they dominate possession. You've got two of the best kickers in the world to dominate territory, um, and then you just build the pressure on the opposition, and um, that's what England have done last. As I said, the last few times they've gone down and they've come off second best. So they need to. It's England who need to change what they're doing and actually try and do something a little bit different to sort of get to get to take Ireland out of their comfort zone. If you look at, even though the scoreline didn't quite say it, Scotland last year, who who obviously threw the ball around like there's nothing tomorrow, made line breaks all over the place, and basic two on ones stopped them from scoring a few tries. Now that's not to say they would have won, but they had success, and so did uh, so did Wales. So. Have England got the balls to sort of go out there and, and try that and have a look at how that goes or mix it up and do a bit of both and it'll be interesting to see whether they have that. Michael, I'd be interested to get your take on what it would be like for someone like Robbie Henshaw to be, who's an excellent test midfielder to go into a test level fullback. How easy would that be? Yeah, it's 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 interesting. Uh, it's a, it's a very big call. Obviously, he, you know, Joe Smith doesn't do anything without uh, thinking about it, rethinking about it, thinking about it again and, and then triple checking so he must be ultimately confident now whether it's again another way to make England sort of maybe try and play a bit more territory and try and move him around and check out his positional play it could be a genius move for making the opposition play how he wants but uh, yeah it's going to be interesting it's not going to be easy to do because I don't how much how much time has he spent at fullback uh, a little bit when he was actually he made his first uh, cap for Ireland at fullback and would have spent a good bit of his uh, underage career and but not at international level as really no experience at all and Josh Smith uh, carefully dodged the question during the week. Uh, one question that we have for you, Mike, is it's one of the hardest places on the field. You know, I think he's got wingers now. Even though Stockdale's still quite young, he's got he's got wingers who know what they're doing. So I'm sure they'll be they'll be chatting away to him left, right and centre. So um, it is a difficult place on the field to to, uh, to switch to, but it'll be interesting to see how England, whether England you try and use that maybe early on to see how his positional play is and see how his kicking game is and have a look at that side of it. But um, yeah, it's not going to be easy. I noted, by the way, your, uh, ter- your response to the boring question, you were using words like effective and uh, pragmatic, <laughs> he, he, <laughs> which are a bit more politically correct, I think. He, yeah. doesn't, he doesn't use those words on his podcast, <laughs> do you, Mike? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, not necessarily. But it, the thing is, it frustrates me, but then that's exactly what it should do. And I can't ever say, I can say I want Ireland to play a more open style. You know, I want to say that, I, you know, the the things they use, they use in attacks, the runarounds, the crossfield kicks, they're all done with processes that give uh, uh, Johnny Sexton triggers on what he's going to do. And they're massively effective. It might be the same thing all the time, but that's because they don't make mistakes, so that's why they stick to it. So you, as much as you want to, say, just go out and play a bit more, it's like, well, why do I need to? We, when we play the lower, when we play the teams that we know we can dominate, we throw the ball around, we score lots of points. When we know we're in a game, we control the game and yeah as much as people want to say it's boring or they want to say we'd like to see you know Stockdale with his hands on the ball more often you know what where Joe Smith finds his his if you call it like a Clive Woodward one percenters are in picking minute details and making taking advantage of them you look at that try against New Zealand 
you know, I don't know where that New Zealand winger was, why he was not around there, how far across the field he'd gone, or why Aaron Smith was then flying across the field. But Joe Smith had seen that and, and has created a move to go down to that back down that inside of that line out, and they've got what they were they wanted out of it. You know, it's 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 easy to criticise, but at the same time, you've got to admire the, the brilliance at the same time. We've been having a lot of debate here over the last week or 10 days about how many English players would make the Ireland 15. How many Irish players would make the England 15? That's probably an easier few. question on Monday, is it? Well, I think, yeah, it's, it's a difficult one because it's obviously difficult. It's different systems, but if you look at, go through class of players, second rows, we've both got very classy operators, uh, front row, um, you know, Obviously, Best is just, uh, you know, he's come a bit into his own. But then you've got Furlong, um, who's just been outstanding. I can't wait to see that matchup with Mako. I think that's going to be fantastic. Um, you know, you get CJ standing against Billy. I mean, I think there's close calls, but at the moment you always stick with the winners, don't you? Um, <laughs> you've got, you know, that's why they're number two in the world. Uh, but there'll be some close competitions, but, you know, I think, you know, would get in at the moment. I think he's just on better form than, than what Ben Youngs is on. Johnny Sexton Farrell, it's who do you love? I think everyone pretty much likes them both. Interesting chat around them in terms of both being hot headed, but uh, Peter Stringer's been firing up, hasn't he? Saying that, uh, um, that they're going to target uh, Farrell because he loses his cool, whereas Johnny keeps his cool. So it's, there's so many interesting little matchups there that it's going to be great to see. And I just hope we get the spectacle we want. and uh, we get an England win. <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm hearing 15 players, Mike, by the way, obviously, <laughs> as you went through the team there. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the thing. If you look at them, there's there's genuine... That's what I mean, that England have the players. I mean, Ireland have this golden age of their players, but England have good players on that field. But mm. they don't... I think what, what they're missing is consistency in selection um, in terms of comfortable, comfortable... I know Eddie likes to take people out of their comfort zone, but sometimes you need a little bit of confidence in the environment you're going into. Um, I don't think a lot of those guys have got it. So I don't think you necessarily see confident players always on the field. Uh, whereas with Ireland, they are just, they're like a you know, big Chevy. They're just so comfortable in what they do and they're, they're just quite easy to roll down that road. And if, and if people aren't ready for them, they just, just, they just dispatch them. They've just got that much experience and that much class. Safe trip, Mike. Thanks for taking the call. Good luck tonight. Cheers, cheers, lads. Thanks a lot. Mike Tindall there on the line. He'll be one of the uh, legends that lines out at the RDS tonight. Native, uh, great charities as well. So get yourself down there. Uh, tickets on the gate. Ireland versus, it's Ireland and Scotland versus England, essentially. Ali Hogg is in there as well and a couple of other Scots. So uh, should be a belter. Get yourself along to it. Uh, before we let you go, you're on duty for, uh, you're taking a trip of your own for France-Wales yeah, tonight. What are you, to tonight. What are you yeah. expecting? Um, it's hard to know. It's, France have picked a very strong side. On paper, guys who've performed well, particularly there's a number of Toulouse players. I'm looking forward to seeing Intimac in the centre and Fofana. You know, they're two guys who can excite. Um, they've gone for the Clermont halfbacks, Lopez and Para. I would have went for Dupont, the Toulouse scrum half. He's incredible. So he's kind of put this excitement in the centre and then he's put this kind of pragmatic mm. uh, approach in Para and Lopez at, at halfbacks. But they're the heaviest pack, I think, in the history of the Six Nations in international yeah. rugby, 150 or 60 stone. Good French like food, that. is that there? Um, well, Willemsa in the second row and Vahamahina. Um, 
Antonio, the loose head prop or the tight head prop, they're all up on 100. Eight years since France have won it. They've London and Dublin to come. It's really must win for them, isn't it? It's must win and see how fit they are. It's a big, yeah. it's a big pack and and. They've had so many issues. They lost to Fiji in, in Paris in, in, in November. Um, Wales then kind of under the radar a little bit. Good November. So it'll be interesting. Yeah. All right. Thanks, William. As always, Cheers. Gwini. Thanks a lot. Enjoy the games over the weekend. And uh, thanks for your comments as well. Over the course of that, we'll bring some of those to you before we leave you. But before that, uh, as we mentioned, it is an unbelievable weekend of big sport ahead. It'll all end on Sunday night in Atlanta uh, with the Super Bowl. John Gonzalez of uh, TheRinger.com uh, was with us during the week. Here he is on why Sean McVeigh is the next Bill Belichick. I think he's almost... Bill Belichick is very gruff with the media. He's very gruff in public. He doesn't really... Uh, like answering questions or, um, you know, really talking about anything that isn't football in that day's game and, and you know, working with his players on the game plan. And, and McVeigh has a propensity to, you know, be much more open and candid. We have a text in from Phil in Sacramento, who's living in Tullamore in the Midlands here in Ireland, two very, very uh, different places. And this right. probably touches on the nub of what a lot of the conversations this week have been about ahead of the Super Bowl. Does Sean McVeigh need to come up with trick plays to upset the Patriots' brains trust? The Patriots always seem to be able to scheme teams to death. They did it to the Chiefs. And as good as Sean McVeigh is as a brilliant offensive coach. Bill Belichick's had a couple of weeks to watch everything that the Rams have done. There's a general sense that McVeigh's going to have to come up with something that Belichick or nobody's seen before. Yeah, I think that that's fair. I mean, that's something that happened last year in last year's Super Bowl, not to harp on the Eagles, but the Philly special definitely caught the Patriots by surprise, caught everybody by surprise, and it was ex- expertly executed at the perfect moment. I wouldn't be surprised if Sean McVeigh had some trick plays in his pocket uh, I, that doesn't necessarily mean that he'll use them, but it's possible that he's got something up uh, up his sleeve that we haven't seen yet, that the Patriots haven't seen yet, and as a result, haven't been able to scheme for yet. But yeah, that's always been Bill, Bill Belichick's strength, being able to look at everything you've done and neutralize it, if not for an entire game, then certainly for the beginning of the game and make you uh, force you into halftime adjustments. Yeah, that was uh, our Super Bowl chat of the week. Sean McVeigh was the guy that was going along the touchline with that video that went viral where he the guy who's solely employed to move him away from the... Hold him back. Touch judge or whatever. The hold me back guy. Hold me back. Do you have a hold me back guy? I do, yeah. When you're out in Mullingar, outside of Chipper. Lots of them. Um, why would I be doing in Mullingar? Not phone. Yeah. It's fine, oh, don't worry about it. Much much this. Don't worry about it, I mean. Uh, Tindall was some player, Sean Lonergan uh, points out. Michael Duffy says he was a brute... Uh, and his era was uh, quality. Fred McHugh says, we haven't lost to the Aviva since 2013. A huge advantage at Kevin Donoghue. Uh, we have to deal with Billy, uh, Billy Vunapola. Must shut him down. Uh, so plenty of comments coming in. That. Thanks for those comments over the last little bit. Something for the weekend. Our recommendations of what you should get up to this weekend. Uh, my one is, uh, we mentioned the Peter Crouch podcast last week, which is very much on the light side of things. And this week, it's uh, something very much different to that. It's called uh, Gladiator, Aaron Hernandez and Football Inc. It really is must listen. It's a multi-part podcast by Boston Globe and Wonderly uh, Productions. Slick production, pretty grim story, uh, all told. Abusive father and different mother. He left school early for football. Uh, Get in with the wrong people and uh, without a doubt took one too many hits to the head. It's a story that's exceptionally well told. If you think you're familiar with the Aaron Hernandez story, um, have a listen to this. There's lots of tape from Hernandez when he was uh, imprisoned and uh, before he met his pretty grisly end as well. So um, it's must listen. And I know it's been out and about for a while. I only came to it a couple of weeks ago, but 
uh, you will listen to it and uh, I think enjoy is quite the right word for it but it is uh, must listen stuff that's my recommendation for you it's not going to you might need a little bit more than this weekend is what I'm saying it's, um, it's a few weeks investment yeah it definitely is it's very very good um, are you watching the Super Bowl this Sunday? what time does it start at? probably around 11.30 I never it, it, it's all, it always is around 11 last hour. year I watched um, up to half time and I went to bed first half was better last year so was there not something that happened in the second half that was there not there, there was the um, the moment when the quarterback received a touchdown pass which was pretty extraordinary but the first half you had the ball slipping through Tom Brady's hands mm. which was kind of uh, a hilarious moment obviously if you went to bed at half time the previous year it would be one of the most stupid things you ever could have done because that was the 28-3 half time score which the Patriots ended up turning around yeah. to beat the Atlanta Falcons I'd say I'm going to watch the first half do you think you're smart while watching Super Bowl? Do you want to know how to, to seem I, smart while see, watching Super Bowl? I know I'm not smart while watching the Super Bowl, but I need to be smart on. So if one of your uh, American football fanatic friends end up calling you up this week and say, hey, Adrian, Adrian, want to come over and uh, you know eat some wings? Yeah. Probably be Jer. He says he's ha- having wings on his own while watching the Super Bowl this week. So if uh, Jer calls you up and says, hey, Adrian, come over to my house. We'll enjoy some wings and Bud Light and we'll uh, watch the game together. Then I've got a couple of uh, sentences for you. And if you're in a similar position, uh, if you want to know how to sound smart, while watching the Super Bowl, uh, there's a couple of things you can say. Uh, so, first of all, the, f- the first thing to say this weekend, and uh, I think it's it goes it's a given really, is this is a big play for the Los Angeles defense because defense wins championships. If you say that to your American football loving friend, they will respect you so much more. You'll go right up their friends list. Uh, if you analyze the analysis, though, then you become an extra. Then you become like a, a Super Bowl fanatic yourself. And Irish people are good at that anyway. So well, yeah, like that. That, that goes on. That's beyond friendship at that point mm. with your American football friends. So you can say something like, "Wow, that Tony Romo guy is really good at analyzing American football games on the television." <laughs> if you say that, you're American football fan would be like wow you you really know the analysts um, so definitely come up with that brand new information that Tony Romo is good at analysis now if the Patriots happen to be losing at any point so if the opposition have more points than the New England Patriots at any point just say this cute sentence don't forget Super Bowl 51 friends Tom Brady the GOAT is never finished so if you say that your American uh, football loving friend will be like wow you really know what you're talking about but if you if you use up all the above and you're just looking for something else you can just throw out random statements that apply to American football so here's a, a few examples of things you can say oh my god look at that line of scrimmage holy hell did you see that pass rush and wow that guy's catching radius blew my socks off <laughs> so if you say that to Jared this weekend uh, you'll be in the good books or, or finally of course you can say something like Maroon 5 oh no take me back to Prince in 2007 so there, if you use all those uh, quick phrases, yeah. uh, you're going to be known as uh, the hand-egg expert in the room. Just don't uh, talk about the line of scrimmage as they're lining up uh, field goal. Well, exa- you know a lot more than I thought. There you go. <laughs> what? <laughs> um, what's a reach circumference? What did you call it? Uh, what did I call it? I called it... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't even remember his own... A catching radius. Gadget, what's that? Like your... Uh, so yeah, exactly. Sort of the, the, the reach of the arm, uh, your arm, arm reach. How, how long is your, is your if arm? If your catching radius is large, your throw doesn't need to be that accurate. So if you combine an accurate quarterback with a big catching radius, 
you've got a very lethal offence up and running there. Do you have a large catching radius? You can radius? move the chains regularly with two players like that, Adrian. How's your catching radius? My catching radius uh, is sublime. My uh, Once I get in behind the line of scrimmage and the linebacker is uh, outside of my own catching radius, then I am making that reception. Is it, are we talking euphemisms or is this actual language? Well, it can be whatever you want it to be. Uh, coming up at Off the Ball this weekend, uh, we're going to be live from a quarter to eight, obviously, on Monday morning as well. Lots of reaction to that Super Bowl. A reminder that Mike Carlson's going to be on the line from Atlanta. Alan Quinlan will reflect on the weekend's rugby. Anthony Moyles is going to join. Uh, you're having Moyles on Monday, is it? Yeah, uh, Moyles a big NFL fan. Um, right. So he'll obviously be watching. Leary-eyed. And of course, the rugby is the big one, isn't it? How are you going to manage that? Uh, be over at, I at did, three I did o'clock? Yeah, I did it till half time last year and went to bed. Uh, well, I'm glad you didn't do it the previous year when it was a 28 3 scoreline at half time and it was like turned around in the second half and Tom Brady dropped the ball in the first half. Wow, you were. The, the scrimmage was at a massive catching radius. I'm just glad you didn't do it. You, you must have got A pluses in American football class <laughs> in high school. You've really blown my socks off with your knowledge and intuition. Uh, yeah, uh, I, I, half time is my target. And if I, if I can, once I see Maroon 5, I'm going to bed. And you I could. Think that's a metaphor for life. Stay up and watch the full thing, come in and do the show, and then just get out here early on Monday. I could do that. We'll see if, uh, we'll see if Tommy allows me to leave. That, well, that, that's a whole other layer of politics ball. to negotiate. Um, so that's Monday. Uh, is going to be eating chicken wings and drinking Bud Light on Sunday night. So that's why he ain't here on Monday morning. And uh, plenty coming up and off the ball over the weekend as well. One to six Saturday and Sunday. Live commentary of those two Premier League games. Uh, we mentioned a little bit earlier on, and we'll have porters around all the Six Nations. So there is uh, lots of reasons to tune our way over the weekend. But uh, I'll leave you on a comment from Kevin Donoghue on YouTube this morning. Ireland to win by 15 points. That'll do for us. Good morning. So, if you like this, you'll probably also like OTB AM, Ireland's only sports breakfast show. Subscribe to the OTB AM podcast stream or catch the show live on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook or offtheball.com every morning from 7.45am.